And me, I still believe in podcasts. But now at least I know it's not some place you can look for because it's not where you go. It's how you feel for a moment in your life when you're part of something. And if you find that moment, it lasts forever. Like two hours, 40 minutes, 320, something in that range. Wait, what was that last thing you said? I made there? a joke what? about our podcast being okay. long. That's what I was yeah, trying to do. He was ad libbing. He was ad libbing. I wanted to sub in podcast for paradise. That felt clean, but the line starts yeah. with it. Emily was right. You do do a good Leonardo DiCaprio circa yeah. two thousand. Yeah, I knew I, she was right. It's it's ba- it's baby Leo yeah. trying to sound serious, which yes. I would argue is his entire career. But we can get to that later well but when does he shift from baby to big boy because i feel like the hit on everyone the hit on Uh gangs of new york was that he's still baby he's trying to be big boy but he's still baby was it the you know the aviator and the departed or those just kind of using his babiness correctly david your question is when does it take when do people finally accept it? Is that your I question? I think in by inception in Shutter Island it has taken and he's and he's a bit different. Yes. I'm gonna say I'm in the extreme minority that says he's still baby. Like he's still baby. He's still baby. Well, I think his best performances still come from him leaning into baby. I think uh Departed for me is the first time. I th- I think he's I think he's great in the Aviator, but it works because that role is partially baby, uh, and yeah, yeah, I think I think Departed I'm, I'm Howard is, Hughes right. I think Departed <laughs> is the time where it kind of starts to cross over because that guy is trying so hard in the movie to prove that he's not baby. But- Right. That movie begins with him being summoned into an office where Wahlberg and Sheen are like, so you're a baby, right? You're a big baby. baby, right? And he's like, no, I'm not. And they're like, yeah, you're you're a a fucking baby. baby. It's on this sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Gaga goo goo. Let me give you a milk bottle. (laughs) I just love... for listeners cannot see right now that the David's background is a is a is a moment from the beach where mm. I would say he's especially baby and mm. to me is his the greatest part of his performance in this movie. So I I think when he leans into baby it works. Is it Donkey Kong Country? Was is that the Crash Bandicoot? I got a real Crash Crash Bandicoot. Excuse me. Excuse me. I believe Danny Boyle has said he was primarily influenced by Banjo Kazooie. I think he has said. Okay. (laughs) I mean, Banjo Kazooie doesn't look like that, and Crash Bandicoot kind of does. But I won't. I won't mess with Danny's vision. I mean, maybe Danny said, hey, can you do like a Banjo-Kazooie thing? And the VFX guy was like, what's he fucking talking about? Banjo? I'm not looking that Banjo up. Banjo-Kazooie. Right? Yeah. Is that some group um, he saw? Coachella? <laughs> God, he's high on goofballs again. Coachella 97. <laughs> like, oh, man. Banjo, Banjo-Kazooie did lay it down at Coachella. <laughs> and, they're, they're, and they're coming back, right? They're you know why? But, yeah, but they're they doing a-, a big nostalgia tour now. It's a yeah. total cash grab. Right, Their Coachella yeah, set yeah. was acoustic, which was kind of cool of them. Yeah, banjo kazooie <laughs> unplugged. Yeah, <laughs> it's just banjos, no kazooie. I think Kazooie's second solo record is actually interesting. I think there's like five yes. good tracks on yes. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, Kazooie's favorite... kind of the George Harrison, where no one kind of like takes him seriously as a solo artist, but if you right, actually stack support, up, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're like, oh, there's like a lot of good songs and records there. Yeah. 
banjo because we what is everybody's and then introduce the podcast i just want to do this right now like mm. lightning round what is everybody's favorite leonardo dicaprio performance uh, just say it just say your favorite leonardo dicaprio performance uh, catch me if you can oh that's a good answer mm. it's probably romeo and juliet because he's the most baby mm. and i don't like leonardo dicaprio i think he's a, a, a bad actor Wow. Uh, Leo, if you're listening to this, this is ha- what I think of you, and I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, <laughs> I think he's a good actor, personally. Wow, I, a lot I like of people him. think that. I, I that's a yeah. widely held opinion, but I don't. I don't like him. I think um, this movie, this movie, kind of works despite of and because of. I think his his uh, I, I I don't I don't know what to call this performance exactly. I it's not to me an ideal performance, but in a way it it makes a second movie happen that is interesting to me. So, um, but yeah, I would say I would say when he's at his baby babyest and wettest in Romeo and Juliet, I like him. Uh, this this is a huge a huge take coming out at the beginning of the episode. David, do you have a pick for your favorite? Uh, my favorite has always been and probably always will be Shutter Island. I think that's his best wow. performance ever. Wow. Um, I love that movie so much. Um, ben, do you have a favorite Leo? Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. I mean, that's probably that's his me. Best performance, that's actually. me pointing yeah. at the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a great <laughs> performance. But no, Shutter Island is my favorite. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't know. Just yeah. Okay. We got the whole spectrum. Look, we're of gonna Leo have a, we're gonna have a great Leo debate. No, actually, uh, just don't look up. I take it back. Oh, he's oh, so funny in that. Sorry. Yeah. I, <laughs> I totally so forgot, but I love that movie. Yeah. How did you forget? I don't know. I th- I'm thinking about Don't Look Up Every Day. I it's don't a top of you. mind thing. In you fact, heard- I'm never looking up as a, as a result. <laughs> right. And anytime you do, you're like, ah, fuck. Damn it. <laughs> shit. I forgot. <laughs> okay, you got me again. <laughs> it's embarrassing, Ben, how much you forgot the extent to which you care about climate change yeah, and thus by proxy how funny you find that movie yeah yep it was yeah. a laugh says riot. a lot says yeah. a lot yeah. says a lot telling uh, look obviously this episode now the gauntlet's been thrown this episode's going to be a great uh leo debate uh before we get mm. into that uh emily you mentioned david's background can you just say what my zoom background is your zoom background <laughs> is of the great actor adam beach the beach. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, Slipknot himself. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. Yep. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Were and you this... doing that in Richard voice? That sounded very Richardy. Which Richard? She means Richard uh, from the Leo beach. Leo in the beach. Oh, oh, a little bit, I guess. Now, maybe, now maybe I'm just in it. Maybe I'm, I'm just in his famous character, yeah. Richard. I think you're just in it now, which is cool. You should stay there. Anyway, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. No, the no, intro. no, 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 no. I, I've maybe, <laughs> I've, I've, I've gotten beach pilled. I'm, I've, I've gone to the <laughs> beach and I haven't come back. Yet. You're Sandy. Yeah, I'm Sandy. I'm sunburnt. Uh, I'm maybe the palest I've ever been right now. Listen, this is a miniseries on the films of Danny Boyle. Oh, Danny Boyle, the pipes, the yep. pipes are calling. Uh, it's called Train Spot Casting. Yep. Today we are talking about 
uh, his his second bounce in a row. Now you say, yeah, uh, but his more profound bounce, right? Right. You're right. not losing Bigger scale bounce. You're not, you're, yeah, because lifeless ordinary, what that costs ten million dollars or whatever. You know, you can get away with that. The beach, like this is this is serious. How many beaches did they destroy in a life yes. less ordinary? Yes. How many beaches have been permanently <laughs> ruined by a life less ordinary? Well, yeah, it's a not zero sum in this movie, so that's that's something. <laughs> not only that, but like this is a rare case where a filmmaker is basically handed a lottery ticket. Yes, but it's a lottery ticket that could explode. Yes. Yes. Like yes. it's sort of yes. It's it's a it's a dangerous package you're being handed. But here. but at this moment, he must have been the envy of everyone in Hollywood. Leo has not made a movie for two years. He has not signed on to a film since Titanic came out. Right? Man in the Iron Mask comes out like two months after Titanic. He's got a cameo in celebrity that comes out the following year. But yes. he has not he been on screen. He both of those things pre, yeah, pre exactly, and he's not been on screen. So not only is this um, the star of yep. the highest grossing film of all time, but he is in and of himself a legit cultural phenomenon, his very existence, and everyone's waiting to see what he's going to do with that. He's got a blank check himself. For a teenage girl who loves Leonardo DiCaprio, which I was not one, but I still feel like I can I can speak with some, you know, informed experience about that. A year with that little Leonardo DiCaprio content when you're like 16 is a long time. Yeah. Like you could really you could really lose people. Yeah. You know? Right. Titanic, December 97. Man in the Eye Mask, February 98. Uh, yes. and and then basically this is two full years later. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and that was Correct. the peak of Leo mania. The peak. That was the yeah. peak of it. The peak. And he was the- nowhere to be found. Crazy. No. Well, you no. can find him. If you you can like. find I mean- him. <laughs> yeah, did the streets. He did have a posse. Yeah, you just had yeah. to check in with the the posse. Well, this is the number one but, uh, thing we we have to discuss in this episode. This is it, this, yes. it, there's going to be a lot of posse talk in this episode because I think it's important <laughs> to this film. I well, we can do a little posse talk. You mean the insane clown posse? What are you guys? talking Yeah, we're about? talking ICP. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, Leo was just pounding Fago. <laughs> listen, today we're talking Da Beach. Da Beach. Da Beach. Our guests return to the show after after too long of a gap. I didn't realize how long. A Leo like hiatus. I would a Leo like hiatus. The fans maybe you forgot about me. The fans have grown up. Wait, the fans have lived a thousand been, lives. I guess it's been like a year and a half. Damn. Was Dark Star the last one? Dark Star. Dark Star was yeah. the last one. Yeah, like a year yeah. and a half. Yeah, it was. Babies a Leo- are walking now. That we're not walking. Oh. Maybe even Boss Babies oh. wasn't walking oh. at that time and is walking now. Oh. So I'm just I mean, Boss Baby was not walking at that time. No, she yeah. was a lump, adorable yeah. little lump. That's kind of oh. rude of you to say that she was a lump. <laughs> Body <Yeah>. shaming. Yeah. <laughs> Body shaming. She's still my little lump. She's a little you, lumpy. And you made that body. You're almost shaming yourself. Nothing wrong with lumps. Uh, but yeah, now she's running, obviously. Running around like a maniac. Emily Yoshida, mother of blankies. The the epic anticipated return. Hi, everybody. Time number? Uh, I think we're on 12 now? 12? I don't know. It's counting counting uh, bonus episodes or not. I think we're, the dozen? I if think we're, we're at the dirty dozen feed, right now. If we're talking just main feed and if we, can't t- if we count Titanic as one. 
then this is twelve. This is the dozen. And if and it, and then and then I'll obviously you also did a babe episode with us, which is basically a full episode. It was a full in which episode we, in which yeah. we love. We all babe. cried. We all yeah. cried we in that episode. I love remember? babe. Yeah, I think well, I'm crying now. Time. In three different blank check check episodes, so I yeah. Wait, I, what are and, the others? And I'm gonna. It's gonna be a fourth time today, guys. Wow! Wow! <laughs> what are the, what uh, are the other ones you cried during? Yeah, when did you cry? Marvin? I cried during. Um, I tried. Mar- I cried during the, the castle in the sky episode. Wow! Okay. Uh, and then that oh, whole mini series was a tearjerker. Yeah. Lasseter's introduction I, of the movie, right? That's when you cried when you did your dramatic reading of Lasseter's DVD introduction. Yeah. I yeah, it's like it's just from from that point on, you know, mm-hmm. the waterworks start and they don't they don't turn off. Um No, I there's got to be Did I cry during the uh did, the, did I cry during the Speed Racer episode? It's possible. Well, no, it was the keep. The keep. I remember you were just really the RPG. moved by the, the game, RPG the RPG game, game. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if you aren't subscribed to the Patreon already, go subscribe and listen to me cry while playing the Keep RPG tabletop game. Out of uh, frustration. <laughs> you know, I was the one crying out of frustration. Yeah. <laughs> there was only one one frustrated dungeon master there. I was. I mean, relevant to today's uh, uh, topic. Uh, recently, uh, D- David Ehrlich, the great David Ehrlich, mm. friend of the show hosted a, a little weekend get together uh to to play the official Titanic board game the mm. G- the James Cameron's Titanic board game and and Marie and I played that with David and and some of his other friends uh th- the I, I I described it as uh less fun than doing taxes it was the <laughs> most it truly we spent 2 hours trying to read through the instructions and then went like, maybe if we just start playing, it'll make more sense. And then it made less sense. I can't believe you guys what? didn't record this. Sounds like gold. I wasn't there. Uh, I decided to go on a date with my wife instead Dumb. of doing that. Huge mistake <laughs> by me, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, I am really good at understanding the stupid rules of complicated board games. So maybe I could have helped. But maybe, you know, some of these things are just bad. This yeah, this one was yeah. so annoying and complicated. And you, you know, you're right, Emily. We should have recorded it. It would have made for a good episode. The problem is we can't recreate it because I, out of frustration, went and burned every single copy of the game that exists. <laughs> you put them all in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> buried yeah, I buried them. them like the fucking <laughs> ET game. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. I mean, if that game was remotely good, people would know about it. If like there was Sometimes a good game based on that movie people mm. would play if you it. got but if you get the emulator of the not based on the movie but the titanic computer game which i know i brought up on that episode oh, which is like my yes. my you know second most powerful touch point for titanic adventure out of time and do like a play along with that 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 would rule adventure out of time well, oh my god i believe i believe now just you can just buy it on steam for six dollars if you want oh, you know i don't shit. think you even really need an emulator like it just exists <gasps> is it on switch Oh uh, <laughs> I'm not sure anyone's made the effort <laughs> to port that sucker over to the Switch. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm looking at it. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot of dialogue, right? 
A lot of like, uh, hey, yeah, may so I see the wireless room. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And you kind of choose your responses underneath it. But it is very dependent on how you respond to people. Like they're mm. real. It's not linear at all. So it's it's pretty cool. it would be fun fun to play. I mean, speaking uh, of of things that we were all doing in the year 2000, I've been playing Final Fantasy VIII on the Switch right now, which I didn't realize was on there. And that's um man, what what a slow game. Uh <laughs> Those games are uh, boring. Shut up. I said it. I said it. <laughs> wow. Yes. Okay, the beach. Emily. The beach. Emily, I beach. A, a, a question I have for you. Mm-hmm. So this is your second Leo movie you've covered on the podcast now. Sure. Your yes. second movie from peak Leomania Leo. Yeah. yeah. You come out of the gate swinging with the take that he is a bad actor and you don't like him at all. <laughs> This movie is. And you hope he's listening. Yes, and you hope he's listening, Wait, and you, you and you want him to cry. You said <laughs> I right before we started recording. You said I'm not going to cry on this fucking episode. It's time for him to cry. Listen, it's, him, it's time for him to cry. Right. Yeah. I hope he puts yeah. on headphones, listens to this episode while having sex <laughs> and vaping, and, <laughs> and then sends sends the wave file to Ben, and he can yeah. just oh, lay it God. in as a new yeah. track. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's paywall. That's a paywall. Um, no, I it's I yeah. I was thinking of this last night while I was watching the beach. I was like, you know, I, these are, and I actually I I'm I'm staying in a hotel right now, so I was watching whatever Showtime, just watching Showtime on television as you as one does when you're around cable, like which I never am anymore. And I saw like the I'm last I'm confused. Do you mean Paramount Plus plus Showtime? Yeah, I had to get the Paramount Plus um add-on package on top of the Showtime add-on right. package on my Apparently Paramount Plus. Apparently they don't exist but... independently anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I was watching the last 10 minutes of that. So I got to see a little bit of, yeah, the, the icy, icy Leo and, mm. and then Leo at the very, very end of that movie, which I still like, uh, you know, I maintain is like one of the best endings of any movie, uh, the, the, the final sequence of Titanic. And it's very much reliant on you being like, oh, I'm so happy to see Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, and then I was watching this movie, which is just like, I, I think. I, we can get into it. I have re- a lot of really complicated feelings about this performance, but I still think this is like a a a, a, a what what's the word that's not problematic that we can use now that doesn't mean problematic. It's just like yeah. a um tricky. It's a, little, it's a fraught movie, <laughs> uh, but and and including and because of this this Leonardo DiCaprio performance, but. It's still super compelling to me, and it was a reason why I, I, you know, requested it. I think I had a couple Boyle movies that I was interested in, but this was definitely one of them. So, well, that was going to be my question. Where are, mm-hmm. are there any other Boyles? Where are you on Mr. Danny Boyle? Any other Boyles you love? Hate? Well, this is the thing for Boyle. Like, I saw this in the theater. I, I really don't have a Same. memory of my experience of seeing it in the theater. I think because it was disappointing to me. I think to me it felt kind of like the epitome of somebody that I like, which, and this was a still new experience for me at this time, kind of quote unquote selling out. Um, and it feeling like a kind of big American-y misfire for somebody that, you know, I was just like, oh, they're so cool and British and, and Ewan McGregor and all this shit. And then this movie doesn't, notably doesn't have Ewan McGregor in it. Um, 
was going to have Ewan McGregor in it. Uh, we'll talk about not. that. We're going to yep, talk about uh, all that. Don't worry. I mean, would this movie have worked better if Ewan McGregor was in it? We're going to well, talk about it. But what what okay, Danny fine, Boyle fine, movies fine. do you like? Okay, so so what I'm saying is I really, really liked Danny Boyle up to this. Like, I saw yes. this because of Danny Boyle mm, when I saw mm-hmm. it. Because I was a huge Ewan McGregor fan. Mm, and, right. you know, got into those movies because of that. You went to the box office and said, I just want you to know I'm not buying a ticket for Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm buying a ticket for Danny Boyle. I want to make it very yeah. clear to you. yeah. At at the uh, Coral Ridge Mall in 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 Coralville, Iowa, I, I certainly did. Um, I think I saw Man in the Iron Mask too. There, I don't. know. I just saw everything. Sure. You know, you just see this is the age where you're just seeing everything. Um, but uh, yeah, and then since then, I think you know, I kind of, I think since then, I'm just sort of totally okay. Like if he hits, he hits. If he misses, I don't really care. Um, you know, I think the last movie of his that I saw that I was really into and didn't see for a while because I was sure I was going to hate it and then really liked it a lot was Steve Jobs. Uh, and then what? Are, what are the? What's the last one he did? Yesterday. Oh yeah, yeah. All yeah. I mean, I was, I'm not going to so see. My, yeah, away. what am I going to do? See yesterday? I, yeah, it's it's. So it's not. He's no longer an essential viewing director for me. But for you know, like early, early in my watching movies and being into movies he was so yeah did you like what do you have a strong life less ordinary take because that's obviously the (laughs) i haven't seen that in a uh, long time but i saw that you know like multiple times as as a horny teen um wow so you're probably at least a couple times strong yeah i think i had it on vhs i think like it was in a bargain bin for good reason at like the grocery yeah. store and <laughs> and I, I got it because that's what it, it that, that's what it yeah it's exactly what it is and it's like cool I can own a Ewan McGregor performance on VHS that I can keep in my house absolutely let's do it like well, I guess to be fair to be fair it is like a, a very normal watchable movie like it's a real easy light just pop it in yeah yeah god yeah, I would I would be interested to rewatch that again. I did rewatch Shallow Grave before we I saw you, yeah, like yesterday. That. Yeah, because I hadn't watched that in God knows how long. Um and you know, enjoyed it. Uh that that movie's fun. That movie's a lot of great. fun. Uh the music is so good as it like that's the one consistent thing I think about Danny Boyle movies up to this point is amazing soundtracks. And I think going forward, I think he pretty much always hits it on the music, be it soundtrack or if he's avoiding a soundtrack, like getting a good score. Like he he's at least always consistent on that until yesterday, of course. Yeah, the songs in yesterday suck. They suck. (laughs) Famously uncatchy. Um, I don't think that there is a director that you guys have covered, though, that is where the soundtrack with music from other artists, like not the or you know, not the original mm. score, is such a big part of their identity, at least at the outset. Because I mean, there was something that I mean, that was the cool, that was like the the Danny Boyle brand was like, and you get to like buy the CD that has. I mean, for me at the time, I was like all this like cool dance music and British shit that you've never heard of before, and it was yeah, and it felt like a kind of gateway to stuff. And I yeah, who who are you like? 
I'm we haven't <laughs> covered Tarantino or Wes Anderson or Scorsese, yeah. who are like, That's I feel like example. the three other big record drop auteurs, needle drop auteurs, you know? Yeah, we haven't covered the OC season one. No. <laughs> um. Oh, but Boz, I mean, when you guys do Boz, that'll be Boz, big. sure. Boz, um, sure. And I said when, uh, when you do yeah. Boz. We do Braff. Yeah. I feel like Garden State, that was a big soundtrack. Huge. Well, but. you know, he sent it out with the script because he thought people wouldn't understand it if they weren't listening along. I mean, <laughs> we did do a commentary on a movie with a great soundtrack. Uh, you might have heard of it. It's called Koyana Scotsi. Um, pretty banging <laughs> soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Philip Glass. It's his 86th birthday today, actually. Today? Wow. On the day we're recording? It, today. He's, wow. Yes, on the day we're recording. Um but uh, I do think I was listening to the Beach soundtrack yesterday. By the way, having mm. a great time. Yeah. Oh just my god, it rules so hard. Like, um, if, if there's anything you can say un- unimpeachably about this this movie is that the soundtrack still fucking rips. It's so good. I, I've been listening to uh, Porcelain a lot today since I watched the movie. Hell yeah, I love that album. Mo- is Moby? Are we are we back in on Moby? Play? Yeah, play. I have been sort of seeding it. I'm like. Can, yeah, can is we? Moby can good he? again? Yeah, is I don't he, know. Or is I he mean, canceled? I can't remember. What did uh, he do? Uh, well, I no, mean, he, well, yeah. he was like weird about Natalie Portman, famously, like, mm. like super, yeah. super, super weird. I think she was barely eighteen, but it wasn't that he was like we had a relationship, and she was like we yeah. we just did not, and I don't yeah. know what that man is talking so about. So it's yes. it's that it's not that there was any actual behavior that was you know uncomfortable. <laughs> sure. It's that he had a, a whole fantasy that had no. <laughs> relation to Ria, like then which is creepy in its own way but yeah that i think that was like the main thing he got but, bu- uh, he got a bunch of things. face tattoos as well did he not did he i was huh, looking I him know. up when i i was uh, yeah he did yeah huh. he's got vegan for life on his neck but he also has like things he has a cross with lrsc which stands for love reason service and compassion Okay. Uh, yeah. That also know. sounds Moby. like a like licensing for a therapist, like L R M C, like Love Angel. Music I remember baby. his. I don't know. I remember his uh, crib so well. Remember his weird little crib. Oh my god! Wait, did you see the arm tattoos? Yeah, he's got animal on one arm and rights on the other arm. But it's like, oh no, it's like Helvetica font. It's Helvetica so running straight down from like bicep to fist. But like you know, you just don't want to have the thing where you're like. This, you know, you have a bad thing and then another tattoo that says is wrong, but then people only see <laughs> right. the right. one half. <laughs> anyway, Moby, um, uh, great soundtrack well, on play on the beach. Yeah, sorry. so yep. I, I, what I was going to say is that I have sort of been dipping my toe into like, can we play, can we play Moby in polite company again? Uh, because, and, and this is sort of a sideways way to get into it. So I started playing the soundtrack the soundtrack went in heavy rotation again for me a couple years ago when I was working on the still not yet made but currently still a development tv adaptation of the beach with Alex Garland and so we can talk about this I can mention it I'm not going to get into like what I mean obviously I'm not going to get into what we wrote I, I have no and I genuinely don't know anything about the status of that project but I did spend a long time writing and thinking about the beach and playing the beach soundtrack a lot. And 
just, you know, and occasionally being in the car with friends being like, eh, eh, that was good, right? That was good. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I like Moby. It's music. Um, and uh, I've been <laughs> bumping it in my ears as well. Uh, so, Emily, you you were writing on the proposed beach TV adaptation that Alex Garland and Amy Simons were doing. Yeah. That much like all of TV now seems to be in a state of flux, much like every single series, be it completed, <laughs> have it already been released, The Sopranos <laughs> might be canceled tomorrow. <laughs> What kind of world are we living in? Um, no, I mean, the nice thing about COVID was that, you know, for if you were lucky, of course, you could theoretically still have work as a as a TV writer. The downside of it is that uh, there's maybe a 5% chance that the things you wrote in COVID would get made because everybody was just generating scripts so that people kind of went back into production and were like, well, we're not going to do that. Or I think people just lose interest or blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that any of those were the things that happened with the beach. I, I think it's still kind of alive in some way there, but our, our, we had like a room with it and it was sort of the second attempt at it, um, after the, the Simon's version. Um, so that was, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, in a room with, with Alex and a few other writers for like five months and, uh, okay. So the yeah. Simon's version then gave way to a version that, that Garland was leading himself. And that was the one that you were yeah. involved in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you, uh, had you read the book before seeing the movie slash had you read the book before getting hired to work on the show? No, I'd never read the book. I read, I read the, I read the book for the show. Uh, I'd, I'd seen the movie and, and I knew that people really liked the book, but it wasn't a part of my like, you know, formative reading as a teen or 20 something, which it was for so many people. So you didn't and say then grow I was up like, in London there. You weren't part of a, a youth culture in a country. <laughs> oh my God. Be careful. Look, should you I say it or danger not? danger zone. <laughs> I read this book. I read this book like every other British teenager. And I accept that. Of course, of course I read the beach. I knew that, and I was waiting for you to say it because I knew that. I held the knowledge, and I had nothing uh, funny to say about it. My cover, I think the the, the 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 first edition cover of the novel is so good. That weird kind yeah. of like clip art, yeah, uh, with you the know, da- beach da- with daffy. the with the daffy. But mine was the much yeah. more boring. It's like a beach, but then it actually is. There's an eye. A guy's face is the beach. I don't know. That was my cover. Uh, but I did read The Beach. We all read The Beach. I think this is clear in the dossier, Griff. I don't know if you saw this, mm. but like that, the book was a colossal success in Britain and yeah. a sort of yeah. minor success in America. Sort of the um, shallow grave of books. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, my What's neighbor, your question, Griffin? No, my neighbor across the street is fully naked. This is a rare. I oh, don't think cool. I've seen this. He's Swing going, the camera around. Friends, full naked guy in the window across from me. He's standing at an angle where he can't see that I can see him, but now he's moving around. Uh, Is this like flapping. a new recurring character for our show? Well, no, I'm going to say <laughs> I don't want to set up any recurring characters that only exist in Zoom records. So well, let's, I would agree with that. Let's commit to the <laughs> uh, idea that he will never appear ever again. Uh, no, what I, what, what I was going to say, oh, God. I just remembered I was going to say it was a terrible <laughs> joke and got distracted by a naked guy. And now I have nothing to reset back to. No, go to the I joke. I was going to try to make some fucking I wasn't even sure. I didn't even land it on how to make the joke. I was going to make some joke about it being a beach read. 
Sure. Yeah. I was going to try to make some fucking joke about yeah. the book, mm-hmm. The Beach, being a beach read. I don't know. This guy fucking, his pubes threw me off. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. All right. Tell, uh, you know, bush out. Yes. David, tell, tell, how old were you when you read this? And, and were you, did you, did you 13? backpack? Okay. I, did I backpack? I've only ever backpacked in Europe. I've never been to uh, Asia. Um, and I've never done, you know, uh, this sort of thing, right? You know, uh, but you've never uh, found a secret island where there's a, a sort of. Uh, I've done that. You know, you can do that anywhere. No, I know. I've never done community. anything like that. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I've never had. I, backpacking, not my vibe. I don't, I don't, I want to be very comfortable. I love to be comfortable. You're more it's of a messenger bag guy. Yeah. Um, but I did read this book in 1999 because every boy in my school read this book. Not everybody, but like lots of N word. We would then the word would spread of how gnarly the book was. It was like, yeah, oh, you have to read the beach. There's this scene where you know, like you know, it's like we were all, uh, I guess, sort of it, the allure of substances yeah. and danger and weed farmers mm-hmm. and guns and like uh just the darkness of the book was what we were into mm-hmm. uh and then i was actually scared to see the movie for this reason because i thought it would be as gnarly as the book it is not nearly as gnarly yeah. as the book um yeah probably you know somewhat understandably um just because yeah. it'd be it would be tough well we can you know but uh, but yeah. i did read the beach at the time and uh, I have never read Alex's other books. I never read The Tesseract or The Coma. But uh, I did uh, whatever. I mean, I like Alex Garland. I mean, you know, Emily, you worked with him. I interviewed him once and he is the he was the saddest sack I ever interviewed. Not in a bad way at all. <laughs> but he was just so yeah. like, oh, you know, no one's going to like this. Was it, was this for oh, annihilation? Yeah. It was. This it was, was no. For this men. is for men, from, oh, from, which you know he wasn't. He wasn't like I watched a very very early cut of that as well, and he was like you know exactly like he was just like I know everybody's gonna hate this, which whatever. I mean, he got to make a movie in COVID, like you know. Uh, also, he was I- actually shooting that while we were in the room, which made for a really like you know peaceful normal working process so yeah sure. am, I, am i correct in believing that men was a situation where like that was an older script he had in his drawer and people came to him and they were like do you have anything that is contained that you no. could shoot during covid no i don't think so uh, he, yeah. he he pushed back very strongly against the idea that it was a covid movie uh, yeah. When I mentioned, when I floated yeah. that to him, yeah, it was an old but- script or whatever. It was a script he'd long been working on, but I think he has a lot of those, right? He's yeah. got a lot of yeah. sort of, you know. I love Alex so much. Um, he is a big old grump, but I like big old grumps, and mm. and you know, he was he was like a very I'm I'm a very very cool person to work with. Um, a and I think, you know, I was trying to think back to stuff that we had talked about when we were, you know, because it was just sort of weird. Like we were doing this adaptation of a book that he wrote when he was in his 20s. And so he's right. going back and revisiting this material with, you know, with an adult, you know, a, I mean, whatever, an older adult's eye and and also just like the 
what what that scene is, what the the tourism industry, what the backpacker scene is now there is also changed a lot. And and you know he, shockingly, he's super cynical about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was. Uh, I just think that that's an interesting process to go through. Of like, okay, if if you could imagine trying to like rework something that you wrote at such a different point in your life, like. Uh, well, it's also crazy that, like, here's this guy who makes this novel that's a big generational cultural thing. It gets adapted into a movie that's seen as a disappointment, but it starts his relationship with the guy who he then makes two movies with. Like, this is sort of an odd handoff movie between the Hodge era of Boyle and the Garland era of Boyle, which then leads to Garland being more of a film guy. A film and TV guy, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is so interesting that Garland did not write this screenplay. Yeah. But then takes the baton and writes, well, two screenplays, right, for, for Boyle, right? He writes yes. 28 Days Later and Sunshine. I think that's it, right? Yeah. I, th- yeah, so. yeah. And then I guess after that, he's off to making his own movies pretty much, like... But um, right. but yeah, it's 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 a funny sort of, and then Hodge doesn't write for Boyle again until tr- until T two, right? Yeah. yeah. But this is, I mean, it, it's why you know. Oh, no, he wrote Trance. Sorry, I always forget he wrote Trance. Well, I think he forgot he wrote Trance too. Mm-hmm. I think he forgot to write Trance. Is what I meant to say. Um, no, it's just you know, we'll we'll dig into this shortly i'm i'm sure but the whole mcgregor of this movie he has talked about in recent years where he's like it wasn't about the beach it's not that i was so offended by the fact that i didn't get to do the beach it's that i really thought like the four of us were in this together that it felt like it was boyle mcdonald hodge mcgregor are gonna be a team yeah forever and it it feels. I mean, those sorts of you know th- that kind of click that you form early on with people that you like come up with is destined to come apart at some point or another. I think it would hurt to be like the only person. Let's say a pussy <laughs> posse. Like the- if you, you in your twenties form a pussy posse with some other. <laughs> say some sort of pussy posse. Pussy uh, aficionados. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think that obviously must have been a big bummer. Though. Yeah, it's just funny that like they have their falling out over not doing this movie together, but then also Hodge and Boyle kind of like drift away. They do. And I wonder, I mean, after this movie, it was clear, I'm sure, you know, it's obvious that Boyle, and we'll talk about it next time, but like perceived the need for a, a big reboot for himself, right? Like, yeah. you know. yes. I can't keep doing these sort of cutting edge of cool movies about Gen Xers in their twenties, fucking you know, like you know, like right, like he so drops he, the house style, he drops the sort of the the thematic interests and 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 starts moving around in different directions. Yeah, no more Helvetica. Tell if that this, to Moby. Yeah, no more. <laughs> Look, <laughs> if this movie comes out, let's just put this movie, and then I'll crack open the dossier because we have to talk about you know, all of that drama mm-hmm. and everything else. Um, but if you put this movie in Ewan McGregor's career, right, just mm-hmm. plop it in and assume yeah. no other changes, then it's basically just like in 99, he does Star Wars. In 2000, he does The Beach. In 2001, he does Moulin Rouge and Blackhawk Down. 
Like yeah. it probably would just have been a net positive for him. There obviously would have been a lot less hype around the movie. It sure. would not have had the sort of, you know, massive weight of expectation on it. So yeah, it probably wouldn't have been a problem. I think it would make him cooler. I think it would have yeah. an effect of him getting to be cooler for longer. Obviously, he's very mm. cool in Train Spotty. He's very cool in Velvet Goldmine, but like those are you know still kind of cult films at the time. But if he got to be in like a, a film the size of The Beach in that kind of sexy role, I think that maybe he doesn't do Down with Love and then has a completely different career trajectory. Because I do think that like Down with Love, well, I don't know for him feels like a, a turning point um well, I think but I, Mul- that's Moulin all Rouge i'll say about gets, that yeah moulin rouge gives him down with love which sure you know, like those, yeah. that, that he's in down with love because of moulin rouge like sure that could still happen yeah um you know you're the you're the pretty pretty boy angel face like, those are you know, both yeah. yeah fox movies yeah and i think they're both trying to capitalize on this guy being one of the yeah. leads of star wars like it's this rare uh-huh. thing of not just, oh, he booked a huge movie, but it's like one of the biggest movies of all time mm-hmm. in terms of anticipation. And, and it's one also of the, the only roles that we know the character exactly. beforehand, you know? Yes. Like, right. So from huge. the announcement, it's humongous. And you're also guaranteed that he's going to be one of the leads of all three movies. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just a huge, huge-ass deal. And Lil Emily Yoshida in Iowa sees him on the cover of Premiere Magazine and is like, oh, it's my husband. I'm going to go watch Velvet Goldmine now. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know? As one does. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't want to make this a Ewan McGregor podcast when he's not even in this movie. His ghost obviously looms large over it. But I I just, before you get into the dossier, I just, I just wanted to... To, to pick a boat about, you know, um, uh, comments that, that Griffin may or may not have made. Oh, boy. Yeah. About Ewan McGregor's attractiveness. Marie um, also yelled at me about this. She said she spit out her salsa. <laughs> and that was expensive salsa. Okay. Yeah. That hurts, she might too, be if it comes you out your nose. like It, it does. Yeah. <laughs> I said that I thought he was not conventionally attractive. He was kind of goofy handsome. Drag him. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about Shame. me drag Griffin or, or Griffin dragging you and both? I didn't think I was dragging him. <laughs> it's a train. I was, it's a train. First of all, dragging. this was said in the framework of when I was young. I did not, I could not see physical attractiveness in men who didn't look like Ken dolls. Anyone who wasn't like super <laughs> cartoonishly like defined features. Sure. And I do think he's got kind of like a goofy smile and a big nose and whatever. And it was me talking about in that episode how insane it is that I didn't used to understand women finding him attractive, which I now do. And I was trying to justify why through the eyes of a fucking 10 year old or 12 year old i wouldn't get that <laughs> it's why i mean this is this is why we need a bunch of different perspectives on a podcast you know it's just different lived experiences cuz you know well i've told you my lived experience vis-a-vis you and mcgregor but uh yeah Look, uh, it's it's it his is eyes one are of, too big and dreamy. It's I understand it's goofy looking that he's that attractive. It is one of the most heterosexual <laughs> things I have ever said on this podcast. It is disgusting. <laughs> uh, 
I, oh, I, now I, you're gonna do like a try guys apology. You're gonna like look at the floor and be like, it's <laughs> fucked up. I mean, I shouldn't it's have done it. Up. Like, it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I when I was when I started doing stand up, and the only people who liked me in the comedy scene were uh, uh, gay male stand ups, basically, and they sort of like took me into their scene. I was hanging out with them a lot, and it felt like they were always like, is he gay? And he's sort of like testing this. Is he sort of like one right. foot in, one foot out on this? And I remember one night being with one of these gay standups who was had sort of taken me under his wing. And he was trying to get me to say like, but like if you if you had to fuck like one guy, who was the one guy you would fuck? Like what celebrity would you fuck? And my answer was Paul Rudd. And he sat back and he went, oh, wow, you are straight. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my god. That is so funny. He was like, that's that's the straightest uh, answer like, you shit. possibly He was like doing like a Voight Kampf test on you and you yes. said Paul Rudd and he's like, Yeah, that you yep. couldn't be lying. Yeah. He was okay. like, Fuck. Right. Oh god. So there's no chance here. I have no in. The conversation's over. Right. It's yeah. over. Yeah. And the McGregor <laughs> moment felt similar to me. We recorded that in a, in an episode with Charles and David. And neither of them called me out in the moment. And then now every every woman who has listened to the episode has attacked me. And they're right to do so, and I deserve to be dragged, and this is a moment for me to step back and listen. Right, step back and take take stock, and you know, you'll be making a donation to the Hot Boy uh, uh, charity or whatever. I'll just be paying you and McGregor. Hot Boy Access this Fund. Is, this is society, exactly. The Society for Hot Boys. I'll, Wait a I'll, second. This doesn't sound good at all. I'm, I'll like, rank I'm Young Adam twice. And, and yeah, the, oh, the Hot yeah. Boy yeah. Access Hotline. Yeah, Young Adam is that's you and McGregor being like, can I make a Danny Boyle movie, please? Oh fuck, we're not friends anymore. Like I do feel like that's yes. him being like, can I get back there? Anyway, yes. let let me let me read you the dossier a little please. bit. As Emily mentioned, the the Beach novel comes out in '96. Alex Garland was only 26 years old when it came out. Dumb. Uh, and it gets in the hands of Danny Boyle, who is working on the post production of A Life Less Ordinary, uh, and he r- is immediately like. You know, he feels the same way about it that he felt about the train spotting book, right? Mm-hmm. He like calls Andrew McDonald. Let's let's meet this guy right away. Mm-hmm. Uh and the book was a huge hit in Britain, um, very quickly. And uh Garland, which is funny, like said initially he was like, I don't know, I kinda want like Steven Spielberg to make it. Like he admits that he was like <laughs> in a complete like pipe dream world sure. uh, but then you know they sold it to figment which is boyle's company uh and fox uh who made a life less ordinary even though that movie flopped is still basically like we want to be in the danny boyle business and and there there's probably a little bit of a okay danny you got that out of your system now are you ready to like play the game you know right the other interesting thing is that Boyle and McDonald had bought the rights to the beach themselves mm-hmm. using their own salaries from a life less ordinary. So they actually had more creative control than, say, if Fox owned the book and was like, we're going to bring you aboard. Sure. Um, yeah. And so and then so what? what is what do Andrew, John Hodge and Danny Boyle decide to do? They start backpacking all around. To try and get into the mindset, I guess. And did you guys know this that they they did this? Yeah. This is no, this... unsurprising. But yeah, I didn't know that. When they found out Princess Diana died in 1997, was they were backpacking. Uh, uh, 
he describes everyone getting phone calls at the same time, essentially, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, the big change John Hodge made, obviously, we sort of discussed this already, is that the ending, uh, which is um, much darker and more bloody. Um, how can you describe it? They, they are we going to talk about ending, Can we right? spoil the, the... Oh, did they shoot it? I didn't... I don't. I was reading that the DVD has the alternate ending, and oh. and and a really? Danny Boyle commentary explaining it had multiple deleted scenes. I mean, where was? Yeah, there's a there's a scene where Sal kills herself. Uh, yeah. She turns the gun on herself, but it's not like that's not quite the, what the, the ending, book ending. The is. ending of the book is basically like. The the gunmen show up. They throw the bodies of the dead, you know, tourists down, and everyone's already going crazy because Richard has like spiked their feast with drugs, yeah, because he's oh, trying to escape, and they yeah, all the go kid, fucking the, insane and start like tearing the bodies to pieces. Like it's very Lord of the Flies. I th- I think that yeah, I think that the escape group is like Kitty, who's like. Uh, who's like the the black guy who likes cricket Patterson in the Joseph. movie, yeah. and mm-hmm. and uh, then who else? I think Francoise is the other. Like it's a trio. It's yes. like, but it's not. It's not Etienne and Francoise. It's like yeah, it's Kitty and maybe one other person. Um, I can't remember now. But yeah, but no, yeah. that's and, it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And then they that's their escape plan is that they are trying to get off the island and they just yeah like spike spike the feast with weed. And yeah, the, then there's this total massacre and then they leave. And like the interesting, sorry about my dog. The interesting, uh, the, the, the key difference to me, aside from the like gory, violent frenzy part of it is that like they don't talk to each other after it. Like that's sort of the last part of the book is him saying like, this was such an insane experience. We will never talk about it or see each other again. Like we just cannot acknowledge it and he says like i don't know if sal's alive or dead but you know i really hope you know i I hope i never have to see her again it's just like and it's treated much more the whole thing is treated as like a huge traumatic incident rather than like ah that was fun until everybody died (laughs) waiting 20 minutes for a photo to lead load at an internet cafe that says (laughs) never forget (laughs) it's a picture of them having the best time of their lives the ending the 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 final that that is it lands with a real thud. We can talk about it later, in my opinion, at least in the movie. It's crazy. Uh, the, yeah. The, uh, the internet. Did anybody scene. buy that at the time? Like, would any? Like... I don't know. My wife was laughing. She did not like that ending. She was she was like, wait a second. But anyway, Garland <laughs> says, I love bloody bleak apocalyptic endings. You know, basically, he's like, I didn't want there to be any redemption in particular. Boyle's response is, I think our ending is superior to the book. It's an amazing book. It's a modern parable, but it depends on this Lord of the Flies denouement, this terrible primitivism. But this is a sophisticated society they've built up. Uh, you know, uh, he just he I get he just did not like the idea of them just turning into like violent animals at the end of the movie. Okay. I it, I, I get that that would be hard to pull off. Like, you know, it, it is funny that Garland yeah. has succeeded in ending all three of the movies he directed basically that way, though. The equivalent right. for those Bloody stories. Massacres. Right. And w- mm-hmm. look, we'll get to it, but that's everyone's complaint about Sunshine for the people who have the complaints about it is that it veers into an Alex Garland sort of tonal genre shift final right. act. I love it, though. 
That is bloody apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sunshine Rules, the ending is good. Um, yeah, the whole movie is good. Five oh, out yeah. of five masterpiece. Ex- agree. So now the big thing, obviously, is it's kind of a Watergate-esque who knew what when mm-hmm. on whether or not Ewan McGregor was ever, like, you know, offered the role, like, to, you know, when did they switch and who made the switch? Was it an was assumption? It or that was it, it Boyle? Right. Yes. You know, like, what's the deal? Because obviously um, they had given, I think, the book to you and McGregor. Maybe you know it's not like they had comp- this. Never mentioned this to him. Um, they gave him a copy of the book, and Boyle's recollection, as uh-huh. he says it, is that they essentially realized we're we're going to need a lot of money to make this movie. We're going to have to go to Thailand. We're going to need huge cast and crew. Uh, like thirty plus million dollars. I think the movie ends up costing more like fifty. Right. Uh-huh. Well, because someone's salary is $20 $20 million. million. Right. Right. I think that's the difference between the early number and the final number. And obviously, Ewan has not made Star Wars yet. He is not an A-list movie star. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's why they make that decision is really budgetary. And I really... Everyone kind of talks around it, even in recollection. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like... No one just sort of says, like, we had a meeting with a Fox honcho who was like, you and McGregor can't be the star of this movie. Like, but that does kind of feel like what happened, right? Like that someone was just sort of sitting with them and was like, you can't, you need a movie star if you want to make something this big. Well, um, yeah. I mean, a couple other things going on. I mean, you know, Emily and David, the two of you were saying, like, how does it affect you and McGregor's career if he does this movie in the middle of that run, right? And the problem is, like, Life Less Ordinary has bombed. It has yes. made, like, no impact at the box office, and critics didn't like it, right? So there's already that thing of, like, oh, fuck, are they not going to be able to translate their thing to the American studio system? This movie, as this story uh, reveals was never going to be able to be made on a reasonable budget, right? No matter what, it was going to end up costing $30 million, which is a big step up from the budgets he had been working with. And I think the version of it with you and McGregor probably makes $10 million. I think it... Right. it right. For, no, for, it's a, maybe 20 It's right. a similarly niche thing. Right. For how off-putting this movie is, the only reason it was even vaguely profitable was just because of Leomania. Yeah. And there being a dearth in the marketplace of anything where people could see him. Yeah, and it was like a hot book, but it wasn't a hot book here. So it's like, uh, right. you'd have another thing that would be bigger in the UK than it was here and, you know, make right. that kind of money. Yes. It's but, so yeah. double-edged. All your mm-hmm. success and hype comes from Leo, but then right. all the pressure yes. and snarkiness comes from having him in the movie, obviously. It's some movie had win. to take this bullet. Some right. movie had to be yes. like Leo's follow up. And this is what it was. And it's just like it's completely obliterated by that, you know, for better or worse. And so I don't think there would have been obviously there wouldn't have been that same pressure on this movie if it were Ewan. But it also would have been big enough two flops in a row for Ewan and Boyle together. Even having Star Wars, I think people would have gone like this guy's prospects as a leading man might be limited. He might not do the the run of Big Fish and Down with Love and Moulin Rouge if this movie bombs, 
with him in the league. Yeah, Whether right, that means that he goes back to doing more UK indie stuff, is that better or worse? You know, different question. But the whole thing circling this is that, like, Leo is being very tentative in committing to his post-Titanic thing. He's got the world by the balls, but there's also this whole thing of, like, his dad being this his sort of mentor figure who's guiding his career and that he from a very young age is like, I don't want to be a flash in the pan. I want to build a career like De Niro, you know? Um, and the thing he's so close to doing is American Psycho, which would have yes. been fascinating as an even more extreme test of like, how can you punish the young girls who are desperate to see heartthrob <laughs> Leo? Um, I mean, I, I think that movie is so much worse with him in it. Agreed. And I like Leo. Yes. But it's interesting to think about without, uh, you know, obviously. What tanks that is that he wants $20 million. In a way, this is his... I, I literally thought of American Psycho, though, as I was rewatching this last night in terms of, like, ama- an unintentionally, but movies where you're just introduced to a lead character and you're like, this guy sucks. And, like this entire thing is going to kind of feel like a satire around this guy sucking and like his, his sort of sort of very willfully ignorant naivety about, you know, adventure or being like a rebel or whatever is, is very, you know, kind of a version of the, the uppie aspirations and in American psycho. And like, I, I, yeah, it kind of works. I don't think I mean, he would be bad in American Psycho, but I think this is like a maybe a better use of his vibe. He, everyone in this movie spends the whole time being like, "What is this guy good for exactly? Yeah. Like, right. who, what are you bringing to the table, buddy? You know." But, but uh, which is until funny. he tells us his shark story, and then everybody's like, "We love what? this. This is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> But it, but it is the whole thing. I mean, he clearly was in this place where he desperately wanted to kill baby Leo, right? Like, of course, he's he's in that knowing how much he revered those 70s guys and studied their careers there. Someone was relaying this story the other day of him like goofing around and like, you know, being a party boy when they were filming this boy's life. And there was a point where De Niro and Ellen Barkin pulled him aside and said, like, look, if you want to have a serious career and you have the talent and you have the ability, but you want to have the kind of movie career that we had, you need to get serious and just start taking this as a job. And Leo's response was apparently some version of like the kind of career we had. Let me take stock quickly. Okay, you have been in Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Mean Streets, and you have been in Switch, the movie where you and Jimmy Smith's like switch bodies the Blake Edwards come it was like just slamming on Ellen Barkin right it was right. like little Mr. Hotshot where he's like I don't want your career I want De Niro's career that's the one I want you know and like you think about Dustin Hoffman in his postgraduate phase where he's like now the kind of like glib young man you know face of a generation and then he's like cool I'm gonna do Midnight Cowboy I'm gonna do Straw Dogs I want to kill like cutesy Dustin Hoffman. I think Leo wants to kill baby Leo and everything he's considering doing at this point is something that's going to blow up and sort of turn off the audience that he kind of resents, that he would like to shake off and develop a new audience for. Uh, And American Psycho weirdly is so much more arch and the character is so much more extreme 
that I I think it would have done it less successfully. Even if the movie would have been worse, people would have accepted it as like, well, he's playing this character that's like so unlike him versus in The yeah. Beach, there's this weird quality to watching this and being like, this feels pretty similar to the way people talk about Leo right. hitting the New York nightclubs in the 90s. Like the energy of him just coming in and like starting shit and being yeah. Mr. Like hot shit, you know? Yeah. And you can, except like you can feel him trying to kill baby Leo in the performance because Richard is trying to kill baby Richard and some, whoever yes. baby Richard was. Which is, which is why I like this. I know. Like, well, I that's the way it works. works even though me. I find right. him so annoying, I find him, and I think it's a big problem that he is so unlikable in this, but I like it. He's unlikable in a movie where he, I think, are supposed to like him. <laughs> I don't know um, if we're supposed to like him. I just don't know. I don't, well, in the book, you definitely. I mean, the book. It's on the. You know, it kind of. It, it. It's you know up up for debate. I think, but I. I feel like in the movie, especially the way it ends, that kind of gives it away, and that we were supposed to like be well, rooting for yes. him. Well, the, the, look, the Ewan of it all again. You know, Boyle has made three films about three very unlikable protagonists played mm -hmm. by Ewan McGregor, and you like them every time. So, yes, he is good usually at translating that, God, and he yeah. probably doesn't do as good a job here. Well, also, he would be using his – would he be using his American accent in in Great. this? Because – Well, I no, I, I think – uh, No, no That way. was the big that shift was, to make the character <laughs> right, American, no. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. no way. Because he's, he's supposed to be an analog for Garland, he's, right? Garland said yeah, he – Yeah, yeah, he's, he's young You know, Garland. this is based on rumors he heard when he was backpacking in the Philippines and stuff. that people were like, oh, there's like a magic beach community, you know, and he never found it. Or did he? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> obviously, the uh, uh, upshot is that Ewan and Danny do not speak for many years, uh, which is sad. We will bid goodbye to Ewan McGregor now on this miniseries until Train Spotting 2. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, uh, Ewan has said it was a waste, right? Like he he's expressed a lot of regret over it. But at the same time, maybe it was good for both of them, especially Danny Boyle, to just do different things. I don't know. You know, maybe they needed to break up. Like it's it's tough. Leonardo DiCaprio obviously is in the middle of Leo Mania. He can't fucking go outside without people chasing him, right? It really was that. There's that photo where he's like surrounded by a crowd and he looks like he wants to die. Yes. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. It's like a famous press photo. I can probably find it, but like it just just kind of summing up like how insane the post Titanic, you know, experience was for him. I mean, I I was trying to like, you know, for for listeners of the show who are younger and did not live through this or were not old enough to have memories of this. Pattinson was like briefly the only thing that even came close to this, right? In terms of like a guy in a movie and specifically like his performance in that movie, the ideal of what the character represents, especially Romeo and Juliet and Titanic back to back, right? Just became like a, a, a rock star level thing. Not just, oh, here's an actor that people have crushes on but that he like became like this mythical figure. And then that's added to the whole thing of like, you're constantly hearing stories about how he's like painting the town red. 
Right. Yeah. And those both of those roles are like where he is. I mean, I think I I think I said this all the I, it was like what five years ago that I did the Titanic podcast with you guys. Twenty seven. Uh, how long? Yeah. Twenty seven years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was probably seven years ago. <laughs> I mean, for real, that's insane. Um, yeah. Stupid. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, he is, and I, I was reminded of this even watching his final moments, dying on that door in 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 Titanic when I caught it at the tail end of it on TV. Uh, he is a manic pixie dream boy in, in yes. both of those movies. And he is an object to be projected upon for, you know, tragic teen girl fantasies. And that's why it works so well. And it like, in a way, it doesn't matter that he's painting the town red or like not being this tragic, like tragic dying boy in in real life because that that mythology is so powerful and those movies were just seen by everybody. So that was him. Um, And he was so damp. So damp. The the disconnect between what he represented on screen and, and the gossip about him in real life only like it was this weird electric charge that each one helped boost the other, even though they were so diametrically opposed. But I, I do think there is, there's something that I, I I had never seen this movie before, and so much of what I knew about this movie was just the the lore of the fallout between McGregor and Boyle, and the like. Would this have been a better movie with McGregor? And for me, this is kind of like um, Barry Lyndon, where it's like the the better actor giving the better performance would not have necessarily made this movie any better. There's something right. about casting the guy who is a little bit too close to this. Yeah. Who is maybe in a bit of a self-destructive spiral. A hundred percent. And doesn't know, has no self-awareness about his approach to this role. I think that's the thing. I don't think he, his image of himself matches like, you know, how, how he should approach this role at this point in his career. No, but also just so fully handing himself over to a director and being like, do you know how to use me? What do you want from me? You know, the yeah. the marching in the video game sequence, the Banjo-Kazooie thing, it's just like, it's astonishing because you just question who he would put that amount of faith and trust into, you know? And you can, like, talk about, like, what are the funniest or weirdest or oddest or most shocking things that, like, Scorsese or Tarantino have gotten him to do. But there's something about, like, really, you're this – you're not more protective of your screen image at this point where you're cool with just being, like, part of Boyle stylistic experiments and looking like a fucking goober in the process. But there's something he's revealing in himself here that he could not consciously give up, you know, but that he's sort of like volunteering, that he's sacrificing at the altar, the idea of this movie and what he thinks Boyle can do for him. And it is like you talk about the shark story and it's so similar to you read the what is it? The New Yorker pieces, the Leo Prince of the City, but all the accounts of like. You know, they talk to club owners and they're like, yeah, he comes in, he starts fist fights, And they're like, he starts fist fights, And they're like, yeah, but no one's upset about it. You can tell he's just kind of having fun. Even the people he's fist fights aren't like upset with him. And that just stops after a while because no one's actually upset about anything. 
Right. And there's that weird thing where you're like, why is this guy getting away with this? Yeah. Why is like everyone kind of cool with this? Not only They're like kind of his a... game, like yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's something very um, there's some. I mean, in general, I think this is true, but there's something very cruisy about like this this stage of Leo. I think, yes. um, but in a way that is less successful than I think Tom Cruise is. Because because it's the same thing. It's like put me in your hands. I've researched what director I want to work with. And like, I, I, I'm committed to this. I'm going to give you 110%. But I think Tom Cruise pulls it off way, way more, especially in this kind of time period than, than Leo does. Um, well, Leo also was good at a certain kind of like tortured intensity thing. And like yeah, basketball diaries. Absolutely. Right. Like and, and Juliet. And, that was his whole thing. Right. Yeah. And and you know, it it came out so much more in the way of water press, but how much he didn't want to do Titanic, how much he didn't even want to read for it, that he was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be a movie star. I want to be a serious actor. And that right. it was the challenge to Cameron of like, this is harder to do than the things that you think are more impressive. There are fewer yeah. people who can do this, sure. which has sort of been the central conflict of Leo and everything post Titanic is him running away from the thing he can do that so few people can to try to prove he's the type of serious actor that is a lot more common, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think he threaded that needle. I think he, he finally did. He, fi- yeah. I, yeah, I think he fully figured that out. But the thing, all right. So here's Boyle. The, look, the hugest mistake, in my opinion, and it's one they're aware of because Andrew McDonald says this is Andrew mm-hmm. McDonald is this is a movie that's clearly going to be marketed towards young men, and they are going to be scared of Leonardo DiCaprio because that is right. the audience that's like, well, that guy's for girls, right? Like that guy's, right. yes. you know, from from romance movies essentially. And I don't think they Especially ever figured in this that era. They, they're if, aware of it. If, yes. Yeah, exactly. If young women like something, all straight men in America become violent, <laughs> violently opposed <laughs> to it. Right. I'm supposed to be scared of that. Um, yeah, I mean, Pattinson is like a similar thing. I mean, I was thinking, it was like, yep. when you're talking about him as being the the only comparable thing, it's like who, if you're doing an SNL sketch at the time, who's going to be the person that you bring up as like somebody that a teenage girl is freaking, freaking out over? Yeah. And it was Pattinson for a long time. We don't really have one other than like maybe Timmy Chalamet right now. But it's, like- It may be Harry Styles. I was going to say, it's a little sure. Timmy, it's a little Harry, but it's like yeah. you have to combine the two of them almost. Yeah. But like both of those, both of them are going to have an interesting second phase of their career because like Robert Pattinson ended up circumventing this by going underground, essentially. And like Leo never did that. Leo could have actually gone quite small here and then rebuilt his reputation as whatever the serious actor he wanted to be. But he only chose high profile pictures. And I think that wasn't going to work out for him <laughs> for those exact reasons. But that is how he does. He, he, he's like, okay, forget it. I'll work with Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese. Right. And then that's it. That's how he rebuilt it. Then he just did four movies in four years, three directed by Scorsese and one directed by Spielberg. That was, it's, that, that was the creation of his modern star persona. He did those movies, but I was, we, we, we are all saying like he was dinged for gangs, of, even for gangs of New York is still yeah, being baby. Like, like when he does he become, then. yeah, he gets to do these big movies and work with these people that he admires and that everybody admires and would consider the pinnacle of, of what an actor could be involved in at that time. But like, is he respected on the level of a De Niro then? I don't think so. Like, no, I, like it takes a long, yeah. I mean, well, he, 
he kind of is now. Now, I mean, he got his Oscar finally. Like, I don't, I don't know. He got his Oscar, like, and he's he's a big major star. But De Niro is just kind of whatever. That's sort of special, right? It's hard. There, you know, there's nobody that's quite like that anymore. But this I is guess. also like you know, if we're playing this comparison game, right? The Pattinson comparison falls apart immediately because his Titanic is a franchise. He has to do it five times, right? Yeah, which that He's hurts stuck him. In it. Right, yeah. yeah. Right, and yeah. then there's also this relationship. Oh, the relationship has spread off screen. That's a thing that people are projecting onto. There's all the additional drama about that. And then, like, the first couple of movies he does outside of Twilight immediately don't connect. You know, it's like Water for Elephants and Remember Me. It's like, Water you're not getting... Elephants. But you're not getting the immediate, like, oh, they'll go see anything he's in. Right. You know, no one's, like, right. losing their shirt on those movies. But, like, it's not the same thing as even this, where you're, like, you got a bunch of tween girls to see a really weird movie yeah. just because well, his face was on not losing his shirt on it, then that there's your problem. Hey, that's the hey. problem. <laughs> uh, but, but the other uh, yeah. thing is that, like, as you're saying, Pattinson then went small, right? He, like... Yeah found his art house directors. He took his supporting parts. He, like, slashed his quote. The whole reason American Psycho falls apart, despite the fact that he really wants to do it, that he wants to do it with Stone, that that's a major director he wants to work with, it's getting close to coming together, and then Leo goes, it's $20 million. Right. I need to be I mean, paid may, $20 million. It may not just be Leo. I'm sure it's Leo's team is like, by sure. the way, this sure. is Leonardo DiCaprio, so it will be costing $20 the Leo, million. Dollars. The Leo machine is now saying $20 yes. million, and that's an artisan movie, and they're not going to be able to pull that money. And so that's the moment where Fox senses, like, there's an opportunity here. They go to Boyle. You know, and as we said, the timeline of this is all confusing, right? Right. But he It's just not clear who has the idea. But he did basically said there was that sense of... If you're going to be working on a bigger budget, you might need someone who's a little more proven. And then at yeah. some point, the word crosses that, like, Leo's, Leo's in play. Right. Leo's available, and he would be interested in this, and we would be willing to pay him $20 million. And so, if we fox pony up the money, we get Leo. Um, but that's part of the thing, that Leo refuses to... He's going to do his weird movie on a big scale and get paid massive money for it, rather than frame it as a one for me. So... The way Boyle puts it is, look, if he's going to do American Psycho, that's burning his star, his romantic star image down completely. Mm -hmm. And I think it's better to try and exploit that, right? This is a movie that's trying to lure you into this beautiful secret island. We figured let's leverage his persona, you know, mm -hmm. to sort of get the audience into it. And then we can kind of mess with it. Um, so he Boyle himself is like, I did not want to do anything as extreme as American Psycho, where it's like, oh, this pretty man, you know, he's actually chopping off Reese Witherspoon's head and putting it in the fridge. Yes. Uh, like so. And that's where Andrew McDonald's sort of self-awareness comes as well. I think it's also once you're on the roller coaster, it's like, OK, let's do it. Right. You know, like it's like, OK, we signed him up, you know, we have the money. I guess now it's time to go to Thailand and fucking like try and make this movie and then trying to make this movie they have a really hard time this movie was really hard to make and yeah. it seems like it was kind of a nightmare yeah. um just because of the you know shooting on location and all that stuff and uh like it's just sort of it's just funny that like you get leo to get all the money right like, you get leo partly 
to be able to make this movie. But then it's fucking awful making this movie. Like, this is Danny Boyle's apocalypse now, except he doesn't get a masterpiece out of it. Uh, yeah, well, and, and this movie obviously, like, directly calls it shot with Apocalypse Now. I was listening oh, yeah. to James Gray's WTF, and he just talked about how Apocalypse Now was his activation movie. That was the thing that made him realize that, like, cinema was an art form. Coppola was his god. It's so much of why he single-mindedly was so obsessed with doing Lost City of Z for so long. And then basically the second he got to the jungle, he was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Why? Why? It's awful right. here. It's right. so Don't hard to go make a to movie. the jungle. Don't <laughs> go to the jungle. Thing of like, do you realize how complicated it is to get any piece of equipment here? Okay. Now that for a whole movie set like that's what we have to do we have to take it on a boat we have to da, 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 da. it's so stupidly complicated to shoot a movie in an apartment let alone a controlled <laughs> sound <Right>. stage <laughs> yeah and there's bugs it can rain right. for days on end and fuck you up for you fuck up your schedule in right like you have a no control way. of the weather yeah like i I did that, the Larry Fessenden movie Beneath that was like Jaws, but with a bunch of high schoolers and a prehistoric fish in the water. And we filmed that in like a a reservoir in Connecticut. And basically they built a barge in the middle of this reservoir with like a camera jib. And the whole crew was on this barge and they had multiple boats, each on a different side that was like hidden by a rope underwater at a different length so they could get shots of us at different lengths. But basically, we would get into that boat. We'd be in that boat the whole day, regardless of camera setups, because they couldn't like pull us back in over and over again. And it was like a four-minute motorboat ride from land to the barge, and it was impossible, and everything went wrong, and everything sank, and that was like a far less extreme situation than that. But it was one of those things where like the adage is you don't shoot on water, never shoot on water, never work with children or animals. And even if this movie isn't shot on water, you're shooting it on an island surrounded by water where the whole point is like, let's find like beautiful untouched land and then fuck with it and then bring a whole company in to make their movie on top of it. Yes. Obviously, this film was tagged for the incredible amount of damage that was supposedly done to uh, the locations that they shot on and all that. And the many accidents that uh, occurred while making the movie. Now Mm -hmm. it's, there's such a spotlight on this movie. that That's probably part of what's going on, but it does just seem like it was a nightmare. Uh, You know, Boyle says they have been misrepresented. He thinks they behaved as well as they could have. And they tried their best not to like, you know, fuck anything up with the acknowledgement of like movies have an effect on the environment and all that. Um, Garland says uh, Garland's quotes are so salty. I just love it. Every single quote from Alex Garland. He says, there's something completely patronizing about painting Thailand as a virginal, innocent place. That's about to be raped by the Western beast. You know, like tourism exists. It's not a bad thing. It's an income. Like anyway, so Garland, very salty about that. Uh, and, uh, the, but I think the craziest thing that happened, obviously, is this giant boat accident where they were in these two giant boats bringing, I got, no, they were shooting. I think I think it was, they were going to shoot a scene with DiCaprio and Swinton go, leaving the island to go make, to go get the rice and all that. Mm-hmm. And there's a giant storm kicks up and capsizes the boats 
and they have to abandon ship. We're talking like Leonardo DiCaprio, Tilda Swinton, Darius Kanji, Danny yeah. Boyle, like the you know the major people involved in this movie, and they have to float around in the water waiting to get picked up by speedboats and there's a crazy storm going on and danny boyle basically says like it was really frightening uh these grown men who are like grips and gaffers who are really heavy guys were crying we were really lucky nobody died like you know it, and he says like leo was there he's a good swimmer he helped people who weren't a good swimmer like it was not a flippant event like it was very intense it's very interesting to read uh just how sort of straightforward danny boyle is so open he really talks about all the bad stuff mm-hmm. in, every, in every one of these dossiers and uh he really really makes it sound like a nightmare i'm kind of fascinated uh and i was thinking this watching this film but D- danny boyle seems like a uh distinctly unhaunted person sure <laughs> yes right right so cheerful. For a guy whose movies can often have this sort of nihilistic attitude. Yeah. He he's always so sunny about everything and it doesn't feel performative. And and even just the beginning of this movie feels so that the the Gen X is all of this fucking bullshit, meaningless, you know? Yeah. Uh it it feels the sentiment feels honest in the films. And then even when I was watching the behind the scenes sort of like footage from train spotting, he's so up the whole time. And he's like, you know, I mean, heroin's a lovely drug. There's a reason people do it. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it seems like there's something if if you are able to acknowledge things like, for example, a shoot being a nightmare or like, which a lot of people would be you know, prideful about or want to be like, no, my uh, nothing goes wrong on my sets. Like I was right. totally prepared. Yeah. If you can acknowledge that, if you can acknowledge your own shortcomings, it's sort of like, you know, and you, you're not poisoned by this, uh, you know, this, this idea of infallibility that you need to have as a director, then like, yeah, I think then you are more, you're more able to depict <laughs> Like that kind of short sightedness and ego egomania and 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 you know vice and stuff in a way like I I don't know I feel like he has clear eyes about that stuff he, he has more of a perspective yeah he, he does yeah. seem pretty devoid of ego as well yeah. I mean when you hear him talk about his films it really feels like this is a collaborative process yeah. this is a creative process I'm not some genius with some perfect vision of the thing that I'm yelling at other people to execute. Well, like you can't and and talking about this movie specifically, like you can't be this guy like Richard and make this movie. It just doesn't work. And I don't think that Danny Boyle is. I don't think Alex is at all like for for the book. Um, I I can't speak to John Hodge. I I don't know. I don't know anything about him. But uh, but, you know, I think that that jury's out on on Leo. Like Leo might be that guy. And so I think like I think everybody needs to have like a little bit of distance from that guy in order for this whole thing to work. And 
I think almost everybody does. Speaking to this, it, this is Boyle's recollection. He says, it's my least enjoyable personal experience on a film. It has nothing to do with the actors, but the lack of empathy I felt with the characters and the situation they created hmm. for themselves. I think he just, in retrospect, he's just like, I was not as connected to that material as I maybe hoped to be, right? That's you know what also, I mean? Like, It's so fascinating when his first movie was about murderers and his whole pitch was, <laughs> I don't think we need to make these characters sympathetic. We should own it. But that's the thing is that they don't own it in this movie. There's no yeah. Yeah. real which, criticism. Which again, I like. Right. Well, well, there's right. There's maybe no critic, but like they certainly are not self aware. Any of the characters in this, sure, <laughs> they're right. very lacking yeah. in that. Yes. And the idea um, of a commune yeah. full of you know tourists on this island shared with a weed farm is is really taken at face value as like a cool thing. And 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 it kind of leaves these open, you know, these kind of un, untied up things as far as Bugs and Sal and their motivations, because they're the kind of only people who have a sort of sinister aspect to them. But everything else is kind of like, wouldn't this be sick? And mm-hmm. and and if they if he had owned the fact that like maybe there would be some things about it that weren't sick, I mean, sick in a positive way then then i think he might have had a film he could have plugged into more and that's honestly that's the book is that that version of that film this is why this movie should have what you know the the bad ending you kind of want them all to be punished by the end of the i mean yeah uh i i think the movie yeah it feels like the movie gets there in the sort of standoff scene Right, and then it—that's it, yeah. why it, it feels of, so disappointing it when it then it. sort of cops out of it because it, yeah, it that yeah. does get sort of exciting where you go like, oh fuck, this movie is now starting to reckon and sort of revisit all of its everything that's presented to us through a different lens. Um, and the whole Christo shark thing too. I mean, in the book, that's yes. one of the most interesting kind of sequences because it really is like how this unfortunate event is like this poison to the whole group and like ev- everybody's instinct is like, well, I will pretend I do not see it. And it's sort of this right. really, the way it's written is really, really feels like a, this like sociological study. And I, I mean, I think it's pulled off to pretty well in, in that, that whole thing is pulled off pretty well in the books. But again, you're, you're, you're talking about some pretty dark shit there as far as like group think and like, you know, a collective, you know, I don't know, like, uh, everybody's just being very stubborn about this culture that they're trying to create and maintain. Um, but then, yeah, it, it kind of opts out. It kind of, it kind of, yeah, kind of walks away from it. Um, but also the fact that so much of this movie basically hinges on him wanting to steal this guy's girlfriend, right? I mean, that's like <laughs> so much of the motivation of this film, which is so similar to all the Elizabeth Berkeley stories you read from like peak Leomania. I mean, just the fact that monogamy is a major issue on this beach at all yes. right. kind of annoys me. That, like, that, 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 it's like, are, is this not supposed to be some sort of like free flowing utopian semi nude paradise? And then everyone's like, but wait, did you check with your girlfriend that I could, you know, it's like, what the, what are we talking about here? Yeah. They yeah. It'll be fucking the boys and the girls all together. It's almost the single most shocking and surprising thing in the movie when he asked Tilda Swinton, what, what is this? And she's like, well, we're having sex. It's fun. You shouldn't take it seriously. But by the way, right. never mention this to anyone on the island. <laughs> right. Our society right. will collapse. <laughs> 
Right. So, yeah. And anytime, like, you're getting into stuff where he's like hallucinating, he's like questioning reality and stuff. And then it's like, oh, uh, Sal told everybody that she fucked you. And then it's just like, oh, no. Like, yeah, yeah he's he like, comes no, back I'm to ruined. the most like high school <laughs> shit. I mean, I will say, like, to the degree I will talk about anything that we did on the on our version of the beach, that was not an issue. In our version of the sure, beach. right. You threw we, that. We, you threw that rule in the garden. Yeah, Everyone was yeah, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Let's talk about the script uh, to the story to some extent. Let's let's yeah. move through the plot. Of the I, I just want to say, say as a way into this, uh, I, I had not seen this before last night. Uh, oh, right. You had never seen it. Never right? seen it. And I sort of like half remembered the marketing campaign, which I remember being pretty vague. And so much of the selling of the movie was just Leo's back. This will be a hit because Leo he's, is back. He's looking up. His face, he's yes, up at the his sky. face is on a poster. I remember the trailer just being the soundtrack and the shots of the beach and being kind of vague about what happened. Maybe the trailers were more direct than, than I remember. And I think between that and just sort of retroactively applying what I now know about Garland and his work, I had it in my head this movie was more uh, supernatural. I I mm. thought oh, sure. th- there was a supernatural kind of Twilight Zoney thing going you on. There's like a smoke monster, maybe like a beach like, that makes you, know. you old or something. <laughs> or that, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I was almost kind of like I was I was you know queuing this movie up last night, and I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. I've gone all these years, and I still haven't had ruined for me what the twist is in the beach. And I was ready for like the sci-fi hook. And it wasn't like I was still waiting for it at the end of the movie. But at a certain point, I went on the Wikipedia and I was just like, oh, I've just completely invented that. This is what this movie is about. It is about this actual tangible attempt at a new type of society. Yeah. But I mean, if it's pulled off and I think it is in the book, it's like the the supernatural monster that you feel like is lurking. Because I agree. Like it it feels like something like that could happen in any moment. It ends up Mm -hmm. just being people which yeah. is totally a Garland thing, but like, like, and that, and that feels like it satisfies that, that need for some, you know, kind of spooky, ineffable thing. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I didn't feel disappointed by it at all, but it, like, you know, to, to ease into the beginning of the movie itself, th- the setup feels like it is potentially teeing up that kind of movie. When you start with the sort of chaos of Leo roaming the streets, and especially when you get to Robert Carlyle, like, that's such a fucking treasure island. Like, there's a map! 100%. Yeah. I yeah, tell yeah, you. Yeah. And Robert, Car- Robert Carlyle's, like, half demon in this movie anyway. Right. Like, he does not seem like a real person. And, and the fact that there's sort of all this lore about it, uh, you know, it it feels so mythical what they're talking about, whether or not it even exists. And if it does exist, is it something where there's a giant frozen tundra wheel at the center and it's only available on certain lunar eclipse days or whatever? Um, but yes, you start you start with with Leo roaming the streets looking for a good time. Uh, yeah, Leo's in Bangkok. Uh, he meets a cute French couple, Francoise and Etienne. Francoise is played by Virginie Leodin, Ledoyen, mm-hmm. Ledoyen, who's uh, so pretty. 
in my opinion. She's cute. Uh, she's very cute. Yeah, she's uh, uh, she, unbelievably pretty, I would say. Uh, she's uh, really amazing in the SAS movie Cold Water, if anyone's ever uh-huh. seen that. Yes. Uh, um, and I, I would say uh, Gim Kinney is kind of uh, annoyingly handsome in this. Uh, yeah, you know, he's French. You want to punch him. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, now that guy, obviously, he's an actor, but obviously he directs as well, uh, Guillaume Canet, and now he is the new Asterix, uh, which Griffin... Oh, really? I forgot, if, I forgot to tell you this, but uh, maybe Asterix should go on the Patreon. David, I'm glad uh, you bracket. said it, because I was going to. It was yeah. part of my good, big good. pitch. Yeah. The live action. I, I, I think those yes. movies like start go, start okay, get really bad, and then there's one that everyone likes that seems to be the sort of uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. But the other uh, wild thing is this one is basically them readapting one of the stories they've already made yes. into a movie. This is the Dark Phoenix of them, but now it's Kenney who was ten years ago supposed to be the edgy adult director, and now he's given into franchise shit, and he's playing the guy, and he got Coutillard. To play Cleopatra. Right. His wife. Yes. Uh, or partner or whatever. Yes. Anyway, meets them, meets Daffy. Daffy's sure. like, listen, there's this fucking crazy island, uh, this, this uninhabited beach that a bunch of people live on, and uh, then he kills himself. I'm surprised you could even make all of that out, David, that that's what he was saying, because it's a very quiet performance. It's sort of <laughs> hushed tones. I love this performance. I think yeah, oh, Robert Carla is one of the best Incredible. things in this movie. Like, yeah. I agree. And and you have, like, even though Daffy's in, in a very limited way, like, he's so important to the, like, mythology and of I, why everybody's doing I like doing... that he gets sprinkled back in. I like yeah, anytime yeah. Daffy pops up. Yeah. Uh, being like Hugo Weaving in Cloud Atlas, basically. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, doing that. Carlisle, one of those guys for me who I think basically can't go over the top. Like, the bigger he <laughs> right, gets, right. the yeah, more... Like, uh-huh. Right. Yeah, and it's it feels like when he goes this big, you're like, you're tapping into a genuine mania. This doesn't yeah. feel like someone eating a ham sandwich. It feels more like... Yeah, you have unlocked some horrible chamber in your mind. Uh, But yes, his energy is just incredible. And this is the thing also, like, yeah, he's crazy, whatever. He's a lunatic. But I just find him so much more likable than Leo, especially in this opening. That when, like, Leo does the thing where he's like, you're fucked in the head, right? I'm just like, fuck you, man. Like, (laughs) this guy's trying to tell you a story. (laughs) Like, have some respect. Yeah, by the way, it's a good fucking story. It's a better story than your dumbass shark story you're going to Exactly. <laughs> also, coming off of Carlisle playing Begbie, the worst hang of all time, I'm like, I right. I'm down to spend a night with Daffy. I want to see where this goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's wild to see someone have stabbed themselves a bunch of times and be like, dude, I got to go to that island. <laughs> yeah. right. It seems like a yeah. really good time. Yeah. I gotta go. A guy whose energy to begin with was not like chilled out. Yeah. Yeah. Like that no. Like, I love this island. It made me the man I am. Island's so good <laughs> makes you stab yourself when you leave. Damn, I gotta get that. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think this is like the thing that should make the movie like a, a satire on this, but it kind of yes. misses being the satire is that like, 
to see that and then to have that character be like, yeah, exactly. I, I got to see this island is <laughs> funny. It's funny and it should be funny. And it's like, and that's the kind of thing that people call the the Gen X critic, like the Gen X, why it's a Gen X classic or something. Is that there's something, I mean, I, I do want to kind of get into this later, like why it has that reputation, but that, that there's this sort of this tunnel vision for this character. It has that reputation because it's like many a right before 9-11 movie where you're like, the fuck is this guy what's his what's he even worried about he's like yes. right you don't even want to know about my mom and dad anyway i had to go to thailand and then go to the secret murder beach because the only way for me to experience anything because i don't understand what i'm supposed to do with myself right like it's the perfect perfect like end of history thing where it's just like i don't know what are we, there's no cold war america's won do i just buy things like right. or do yeah. i like seek authenticity which probably it's is not seeking, available to me. It's right. the seeking authenticity thing, though. And like that the whole thing is this metaphor for trying to get into the band before everybody else gets into the band. 100%. Right. Yes. The beach is only good because it's secret. Yeah, yeah. And like, I can't have this great thing that is like, you know, beautiful and amazing be seen by anybody. Like, heaven forbid. And then it just becomes this toxic, self-defeating cycle. So <laughs> let, let me throw something out. Is the beach that good? Is it that good? Okay, I think it doesn't it's actually seem okay. that good. It seems they too play volleyball. Boring. David, and I didn't swim. think you would go there because you're a big beach guy. I don't. I love the like beach. The beach. I was watching this movie and I was thinking this beach looks pretty nice. Now, was I at any yeah, point no, thinking nice. I pretty. want to be there? No, but have I ever thought that about a beach? You, as as a, a mild connoisseur of beaches, you feel like this beach isn't worth, say, the risk of murder. It's fine, right? It's a. It seems like a nice place, and uh -huh. you know, if someone could just like open a door and be like, "Hey, do you want to spend the day on this beach?" I'd be like, "That sounds incredible." But like that, he's there, and he's like, "My God." A whole new world. We can play volleyball. We eat fish that we get out of the water. And then we play more volleyball. And then we sit on the beach. And then it's time for fish. And then we play volley. It's like they don't do anything. They just, it's fine. It's its a little boring. But this is the thing about the beach. It doesn't need to be good because it has the most incredible marketing campaign in the world. Like, this is true. It, he true. could not get there and be disappointed by it because he's just like fucking like swam across a channel and dodged dudes with right. AKs the, and the stuff. The journey like, is is part of the yeah, appeal. Right. If you got there and you were like, you well, couldn't admit it. <laughs> you could never admit it to yourself that you did all that for that. Weed grows on the beach. Let's not forget that. Okay. That's kind <laughs> of a big thing. But you sure. can't have the weed because I guess they get some of the weed, but you know. Yeah, they, they got get, their separate. They get, they get a bit of weed. No, what I was going to say is that you guys were talking about it from the lens of, you know, his search for authenticity, but so much of it too is the like, this world is too fucking safe. I need to like experience danger, but it has to be danger with an escape hatch. It's the amount of danger I want to take before I get on a plane and then resume my life on rails. You know, yeah. it, it, this is you say pre 9-11 movie. I think also fundamentally a, a pre jackass movie. When, when in the <laughs> 2000s, men finally figured out the healthy way to work through their mm. lust for danger. Tape yourself to a giant rocket. Wear a silly costume. 
film it, put it on MTV or in theaters. Well, importantly, film it. You know, like a lot of this itch is scratched if you can if you can share with other people the crazy shit that you did. Like, I'm sure that a lot of the sort of lingering dissatisfaction that he's had with every single experience he's had thus far is like, well, but nobody knows how cool I am for having, you know, drank the snake blood or whatever. I haven't, you know, shared it (laughs) on my TikTok or whatever. I mean. But there's, you know, there's, there's a bit of the Into the Wild thing where it's like all of this is fake all of you are lying. I want to be in touch with what's real. I want to have actual challenges. But this is coming from a much more aggro guy whose attitude is a lot more about domination in some way. But when you're that age, you don't want to go to a resort, right? That's no, right. Well, you want to go and experience something that like, not everyone else can see. So I do understand a little bit of it. I don't know, but like, resorts like, have like bathrooms. Yeah, I love bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I get what you're saying, Ben. I'm just yeah. fun. I, I am. I am the opposite. I yeah. was like, I want to go to a place that is air conditioned. Yeah. Well, there's a point when they're like hacking their way through the fucking rainforest after they've yeah. like, like before they jump off the cliff and finally get there, where you're just like, guys, are you on vacation still? Because it yeah, doesn't look like it? you're on vacation anymore. It looks relaxing. like you're exhausted and and hungry, and you're you're you know with bare feet in the fucking jungle. Like doesn't seem fun <laughs> to me. But yeah, everyone's but, lying and, about who they are or are not fucking. Yeah, yeah. On top of all your yes. other problems, you have a love yeah. triangle. <laughs> look, they they get to the beach. It's run by Tilda Swinton, and basically her first performance in a studio film uh so she's kind of like a casting coup at this point you know Can she I, uh, may i say is it is the coolest go ahead is this the hottest she's ever been in a movie hmm. no orlando she's very hot in orlando she's very hot in this i usually find her hot i will yeah. say um i don't it's like too tough a question in a way she's incredible in orlando um, but did, you knew she was in it, Griffin, right? She I did know like she was in it. I thought she was going to be whatever mythical. I think I thought she was going to have oh, a similar she... role to Vanilla Sky. <laughs> I thought she would she come was... out and maybe have like hooves or wings or something. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Or she'd be some AI. Be a mermaid. Yeah, yeah. She, she'd right. be her role in Constantine. She'd just be in the same costume. That's what I was hoping. She That'd doesn't cool. do that enough. She hasn't played the fallen angel Gabriel enough. Yeah, <laughs> bring it well, back. she will in Constantine too, right? Yes. Um, Let me write Constantine uh, too. Yeah, you know what? Yes, yes. Have they announced a fucking writer for Constantine too? And if they have, why isn't it Emily Yoshida? Can we announce it right here now? Like, I gotta call my shot. I'm gonna write Constantine (laughs) too. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Constantine 2 has to be clean of the James Gunn DC stuff, right? Or is that gonna get fucked up? Not my problem. As the as the writer of Constantine 2, not my problem. <laughs> yeah. You know what? In fact, Emily, why don't you as the writer of Constantine 2 formally announce now that it is clean of the James Gunniverse? It's DC Elseworlds. <laughs> it's DC Elseworlds. <laughs> it's an Elseworlds. Uh, who's who? Okay, all right. Patterson Joseph, speaking of hotties, mm-hmm. who plays um, Keedy, just rocking yeah. the most incredible body. I love yeah. Patterson Joseph. This is early in his career. He's great. Um, he's got fun energy. He loves cricket. You know, he's cheerful. 
Uh, you've got Unhygienics, the chef. Uh, the fishmonger, essentially. Uh, the thing about Kitty in this version of things is when yeah. you're like, when you, I, I, we're going to keep coming back to this shark speech because it is the crux yeah. of like Ugh. what makes him obnoxious and what's supposed to be a proof of his charisma or something. But like, Kitty is already so charismatic and fun and like is doing church and shit and playing cricket with people and he's hot. And, and like, it's like, why did you have to wait for this guy to come? Like you already have Kitty here. He seems like a great hang. He seems like a cool, like, you know, mascot person to get behind is your like spiritual leader. If, if Sal's going to be the spooky leader, you know, I don't know. This Island isn't in need of a party, dude. It's right. very true. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Party dude's coming out the wazoo. Yeah. <laughs> he brings nothing to the island. I think that works as part of the sort of quiet satire of the movie of like, this is almost like a playground that's been set up for him. But mm -hmm. it's true. He doesn't really do much apart from have sex with uh, uh, Francoise in the ocean. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yes, supposedly Plankton kill sex. a shark. Uh, plankton, glowing plankton sex, yes. Mm -hmm. And then he kills a shark and brags about it and everyone cheers and it's this monologue and it's horrible and it just doesn't it. work. They love it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? Did you guys like that sequence where he does that monologue? No. I, well, what are you asking here? Do I, <laughs> I don't in mean... the reality of this movie, like the monologue or do I think the scene works? The, the latter. I know you don't like the monologue in the reality of the movie, but like... Because I don't even find that, that, and like, hey, this is Leo. He's given great, bombastic, you know, sort of speeches in other movie. He figures that out. Yeah, but I just don't quite get his energy here. Like I, he feels like a phony. Kind of. No, you're works. totally right. It yeah. feels like this is an audience full of plants who were told to laugh and clap yeah. for him. Right. It's just like it's so in his funny. Paradise Sim. Yeah. 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 They're like, it's like Truman Show. It's like everybody's like waiting. They're watching him approach and be like, okay, guys, places. Like, we're going to make this guy feel so special. Uh, it really does feel like that, though. That is another reason, though, why I think this movie is helped by having Leo specifically in it is you need that guy who just has that weird vibration about him at that time, you know? Like, the kind of just, like, absurdly famous charismatic person where people basically convince themselves to laugh even if nothing funny is happening. Yes. There's just some odd energy circling this guy. I largely agree with that. I think that's why Leo's casting, whether or not he's giving a good performance, does it, it there's nothing there's no one like him at this moment for this movie. No. Uh so there's yeah, there's just something unique about watching that. Um but Richard himself, I don't know. I if I were like, you know, like if the island brought in a consultant, right, to be like, hey, yeah. can you sort of streamline some processes here? I'd be like, this guy, get him out. Next boat. This guy doesn't do anything. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here was a thought I had while watching this movie. Uh looks fun to be unbelievably hot. You mean in temperature or in attractiveness? In attractiveness. Uh, okay. I, yes. I, I run hot. I don't have a problem in that area. It, I'll sweat at the drop of a hat. But, uh, yeah, you it's know. It's pretty good. These I, I, okay, I enjoy okay, it. Ben, okay, Ben. Don't yeah, I like it, very much. it too hard. Don't fucking big dog the rest of us. 
Hot Rod Hosley over Everyone here. in this movie is basically wearing an open Hawaiian shirt. Yes. Uh, cargo shorts and tevas, and they all look super hot. So, and yes. All of their hair has been sun bleached the same color. Right. Um, right. Right. I just like these are my least favorite kind of people, like in real life. So I don't I like, like they can be super hot, people. but I'm still like, oof. <laughs> these no, these people Emily. are are the reason I will largely avoid the beach and vacation right. spots. It's not that I was like getting horned up watching all of them. There's just sort of the moment where it's like this love triangle, all three of them are incredibly pretty, right? right. And then the moment when the sort of island opens up and they go inside the little hut, you know, their meeting space or whatever. And you just see that everyone looks like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it is like a United Colors of Benton ad. Here. <laughs> everyone here is just genetically has that weird glow to them. Yeah. Uh, I don't specifically envy any of them visually, but I'm also like, what did it feel like to be on that fucking set when everyone looks like that? Yeah, that was probably fun. Although it seems like everyone was mostly stressed out and sure. hungry. Trying not to die, um, I guess, is the answer. <laughs> right. Um, so nothing really happens except for ocean sex and uh, fishing. And then Sal, Tilda Swinton's character, decides to go to the mainland with Richard. Mm-hmm. You know, in a move that feels kind of like, you know her picking her new favorite right yeah she wants yeah, to fuck him. she wants to she wants to fuck him and i do want to just briefly call out a supply run and have sex yes go ahead a, a boil flourish that i think is particularly effective in this movie the the weird sort of like ghosting effect when leo is looking at virginie Ledon. leo don uh, i always get her name Le, wrong. Le doyen. Le doyen. Yeah. Le doyen. but you know what i'm saying where she's sort of like smearing across the sky as he's looking at her in the beach at night Hell yeah. I do think, I don't even know how to explain why, but it does feel like a good visualization of what it feels like when you're just sort of like entranced by someone. Goo goo gaga over someone. Yeah. 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 I do think this movie looks amazing. I love Darius Kanji. Yeah. Like, and I just like, it feels just so of, like, it feels like so perfect for 2000, like the kind of like, clubby color grading of it i don't know you know like the sort of neon-y even yeah. that like day day for night on the beach is like it's 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 very unreal in a way that feels yeah. perfect for it yeah and uh you know all that's cool the sex is fun but yeah they go to the they go back to kofeng yan yes mm-hmm. and and they I, run into the yeah the the the, the tourists that he slipped the map to in a moment right. of what would we call that uh, hubris, <laughs> him, him giving the, leaving get, the map it, for them. What like what do we make of this? Well, <laughs> well when he does it, he also like, he probably doesn't really totally get what he's doing, right? Because he's kind of like he hasn't been to the beach yet. No, so yeah, he's sort of like right. he's he sort of bragging. If it's real, and even right, if it yeah. is real, he has no idea it's anything like this. But it's also kind um, of what you said yeah. about him on, and I think he, this is what is literally said in the film like it's like he kind of wants the escape hatch he wants yeah. some people to yeah. be coming after him in case it is like you get there and you're all by yourself yeah um in the yeah. book it's clearer that daffy basically could not handle being at the beach anymore but also did not want to return to society and that, like, what he's doing is destructive. He's like trying to spread word of the beach yeah, because he's, trying to he's like that it. will destroy it, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's sort of 
less, you know, pivotal. That's not here. really clear in this. Right. <laughs> yeah. And He's instead, just... it's more, yeah, it's just like Sal now has something on Richard. She's like, you told someone. Well, I won't tell anyone, but you now you're in my debt, essentially. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I can't believe we've made it this far in the episode without calling out the fact that this film has characters named Bugs and Daffy. Bugs Daffy. <laughs> it's true. And Sal and I, is supposed I, to be like um, short for Sylvester. Sylvester the cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all supposed to be Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah. They, so, so our, our, you know, I got, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm going up to the limit of probably what I should say, but like our, our show is about those three. It's like a kind of prequel of sorts. So, that, and do, that, are you at, that makes are you adding sense. any new characters like Porky or Tweety or <laughs> Barnyard Dog or that? I can't say. Marvin the Martian. Okay, my lips are sealed. So that makes sense though. Sal, Sal, Bugs, and Daffy, and they are the founders. One assumes of the community, right? Like so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that's that's a cool. That's uh-huh. that's that's how I do it. I guess you could do the sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern version of the movie that's just about like impoverished Thai weed farmers who are like, oh, oh there's well, some more fucking tourists. Can you can you get them? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't say anything, I mean, Emily. Don't spoil. I okay. won't say. I won't say anything. But but yeah, I I but I will say like a lot more time is spent on Kofeng Yang and a little bit of time on Koh Samui, which are like supposed to be the two closest islands to the beach. Um, And I, I do like the rice run part of the movie just as like for where it falls in the movie, because like he, you have to have, it's like the time when you need to have the reminder of what you're doing there, because you're right. It does feel Mm -hmm. kind of pointless. It feels a little bit anticlimactic to show up there and then, all we do is play volleyball, like, and and things are nice. Right. The end. Uh, and then to go back and be like, oh, but I'm the important thing is that I'm not like these people because this sucks. Like the whole Kofing Yang scene, the the party, the beach parties, and all that. Like you got to remember, we're better than these people. You have to have the periodic reminder of your superiority over these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the incre- it seems increasingly hard for like to imagine like going back. And just yep. being regular again, so that's part of what's trapping them. Don't you think? Aside from the fact that you know she's he's her new favorite, and that she wants to fuck him, and all of that, that the other reason she's bringing him back to the land is to sort of she senses in him the the, the restless shit stirrer, even if he's not getting tired sure. of the beach yet. It's like you need to fucking remind this guy how much this shit sucks. So that he doesn't start getting any ideas. Right. Maybe she sees a Daffy replacement here, but she needs to, right, like, yeah, give him that experience. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Instead, what happens is essentially she turns on him because he's a little weird about the sex and it turned out he gave the map to someone else. And so when they get back, she's like, you are now basic sort of exiled. You have to like send away these tourists whenever they arrive. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually she reveals uh, their their deep, dark secret that they had sex with each other. Two grown <gasps> adults. I know. I know. And Francoise is horrified. Yeah. And they both uh, get fired from the Today Show. Good Morning America. God damn it. I fucked up the joke. Uh, so then there is a large chunk of movie, probably about half an hour, that is sort of Richard Leo going insane uh while isolated and having yeah. various kind of visions and panicked you know feverish 
sort of delusions that I am sure is when most of the ticket buying audience in 2000 was just like, okay, that's yeah. enough. I'm done with this. Right. Like that, that's when people were just like, forget it. I think, I think you can hear crushes dying in real time in the theater. <laughs> like it's him being unsavory is one thing, but him being this silly, it's like, you're killing my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, doing the full Dennis Hopper type routine and the headband and everything. And like, yeah, he's not even on uh, anything, though. That's what's crazy. No, he's not. Well, this is a big. Uh, he point. eats a caterpillar. He's high on life. <laughs> he's high on life and caterpillar. That's bullshit. At least make him trip on this is, something. This is an insane thing, though, is how drug-free this movie is, aside from the weed field. Oh, like, my God. Th- this is. is not a drug-free scene. Like, in re- it's like everything just off screen is, yeah. They should be rolling face all the time. Yeah, they should. They, would they should be. be fucking eating CBD dog bones left and right. <laughs> also, like, a ton of them would just be doing heroin. Because it's there. You know? well, also, because like what else, you're on a beach, you, you can just chill out. It's a perfect space to be doing heroin, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can just take a nap just lie there yeah. and get old on the beach doing heroin. <laughs> and instead, instead, it's like you get there and they're like, here's your job. And, you know, you get three hours of volleyball a day. And, you know, here's your spare set of Tevas. But apart from that, yeah. it's like regular life. Job. It should be like yeah. this orgiastic thing. You know? Yeah, I'm not doing yeah. shit. <laughs> like, too bad you are doing shit. Do you know how to hunt for fish with a spear? Well, get ready. You're going to learn. I had a great idea. Here's my job on the island. Heroin tester. <laughs> <laughs> Let me test all the heroin first. <laughs> Make sure it's safe. Yeah. To, to quote to quote Boyle about all of this, he says, Apocalypse now hovers over the book. It hovers over me and my whole career. We made the mistake of allowing the Coen brothers to influence us too much with Lifeless Ordinary, and we allowed the beach to be too Coppola-esque. Mm. Much as you might want it to be, it's no flattery to him. Like He basically mm-hmm. is like, Apocalypse now, he says, is the closest you're going to get to a cinematic experience of Vietnam. It might not be so appropriate to use it on a fantasy island full of annoying hippies. It's funny, though, because it's it's like the Boyle style is so pervasive that when he's getting influenced by these other people, it doesn't feel like he's doing a poor impression of them. It feels like he's struggling to match what they did well in their respective style to his own style. It feels just aware of them, even as he tries to do his own style. But the fact that it is aware of them kind of deflates it a little bit. Yes. Um, I mean, one thing about the sequence that that I think it kind of pulls off, but obviously, yeah, I think a lot of people are tuning out at this point, is like the idea that this is sort of the next step beyond the beach. Oh, like, so the beach is too, like, it's played out now. There's too many people there. How about just going into the jungle and being insane on your own? Is that the most extreme thing? Like, and and that's sort of the, and then you kind of get the sense that's where Daffy went. Like, that's that's sort of this, this, that's where the terminus is. If this is all you're chasing or is the thrill of being different and the most extreme person in the world. And, uh, you know, I, I think there are probably multiple reasons that the sequence sequence doesn't work, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) it's, well, the Banjo Kazooie screen is the peak of that, but his whole like sentiment in the voiceover is like, I'm not fucking owned. I'm I actually like this. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I I think this is actually better and it's a game now and I'm good at it. Yeah. 
But I mean, the Banjo Kazooie, it's so like with the blur playing underneath. I mean, what? Like, is there the like, is there a more Gen X moment? <laughs> It's, Don't answer it's that. It's right up there. No, it's it's in it's in the conversation. It's a it's a semifinalist. It's also crazy. He goes to the weed growers like base and is like messing with them while they're sleeping. Yeah, it is. Yes, but like in a completely like, purposeless way. Yeah, yeah. He's not right. even doing yeah. anything. He's just getting the thrill of being that close to dying, essentially. And like, okay, a little glass of water, put one of their fingers in. I'm on board. Say. I get it. Right. Now I'm like, okay, you're pranking him. You're gonna shave cream one on the hand, feather under the nose. Yeah, exactly. The All classics. Right. Griff, you're with me. I'm with you. <laughs> Draw a penis on the cheek. Take out a sharpie. Yeah, that's Draw what I'm little saying. Little yeah. I mean, penis. I don't know the translation in Thai, but we could figure it out. You have to write out the word. I was just going to say you draw the, you know, just do the little, thank you. That's the universal language. That's the universal language. (laughs) It's a dong on the face. (laughs) Dung and balls. (laughs) Uh, We've all got them. Um, Hey, hey, hey. I mean, you know, not I, but like they're universally, you know, people have them everywhere. (laughs) That's what I mean. I don't mean that everyone has a dog. Important correction. You were going to get canceled Um, so hard. I yes, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) One one thing that's funny: the dope field, as Boyle puts it. Uh, he's like, they actually offered to give us real dope fields to film in, but the government burns them if they discover them. So we weren't sure if we'd be able to use any field they gave us. So they grew their mm-hmm. own field of hemp, okay. uh, not marijuana. And uh, they people then started stealing the hemp because they thought it was real drugs. It's got some TH or it's got some CBD in it. People could, you know, make some tinctures. Yes. He said you'd have to smoke about 20 kilograms to get a hit. He says, so if you can just imagine the most gigantic spliff imaginable, a 20 kilogram, a car size. A spliff, anyway. you say. <laughs> yes. Come on. It's the 90s, baby. Uh, the other. Uh, yeah, I, I I, really like the video game thing, even though I, it doesn't really mean anything within yeah. the plot of the. I just like the vibes of it. I like how it looks. I like the goofiness of Leo's stride. Mm. It's the best part of his performance in this movie. It might be. It's great. (laughs) Um, But there is, to me, there's just kind of this element of like, I kind of want to see things go completely insane. You know, the, 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 Farmers shooting the invading tourists is 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 kind of nasty and upsetting. It's it's not like there's nothing there, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate. I do like the final showdown where the farmer shows up and is basically saying to Tilda, like, "Look, you've let people in. We we had a deal. This is over. You got to leave." And she's like, "I'm not leaving." And the farmer just reads the room and he's like, "This entire place is built on vibes. Like, I just have to disrupt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the vibes." Like yeah. this, and this whole like, Jenga tower could come down with one bad vibe. Yeah, and he presents his case as like, look, I gotta I gotta grow this weed so I could feed my family. What the fuck are you fuckers do? You can't eat vibes. It's, like, you know <laughs> <laughs> It's a really good mo it's yeah, it's like it comes it's like a little too late, you know, like like if I'm not for the character obviously, but but like for the the movie, like I want that. Mm-hmm raised sooner because i think it's it's such a good part of the of the film but yeah and also just like this this isn't fucking this isn't a game for us we don't have options right right. 
Yeah, and the fact that both of this, all of this is existing on the same island. You have just like a, a very functional weed farm where they're not fucking around. They will shoot you if right. you come toward the weed. And then, you know, hot, hot person hot person beach where you know you're just not supposed to care about anything anymore and you can play your game boy all day like and get eaten by a shark um a hundred percent um i think if the movie ended with this confrontation and tilda attempting to kill leo and failing and that Mm -hmm. being the end of that that would be fine it is bizarre to then cut to an internet cafe where francois sends an email that's essentially like you know that feeling when you're on the beach with a photo of everyone like love you eh. like a sister haggis Hags. <laughs> <Right. laughs> we got that uh i just i have no idea who thought that was a good idea like i don't know if boyle was like well we got to have an up note here or if the studio was like you know come on guys send them out of the theater happy but it's it's uh it's silly well but emily it's it's what you invoked already in this episode it's like the magic trick of the titanic episode uh, the titanic ending rather of <laughs> like the fact that that movie has a happy ending yeah is astonishing yes well, i and love ha- that right right yeah. you yeah. have to wonder if they're just like, is there any way to leave people on a good note yeah. coming out of this film? It's Leo. We're already going to have lost probably half the audience somewhere along the way. Can we leave them like a little bit up? Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, the be- story of the beach and the story of the Titanic, it's just you replace a few of the proper downs, but it's basically the same story, right? The same story. You can end on a happy story. note with it. It's, Yeah. Yeah, Hubris. I mean, it just reeks of somebody who just didn't read the book, you know, like a, a, like a studio person who just didn't read the book and was like, "Uh, this seems dark." <laughs> like, can't we? Yeah, I'm sure I couldn't find the the alternate shot ending online, but they said the DVD has nine deleted scenes, including an alternate opening and an alternate ending, and there's commentary introduction from Boyle explaining what he was trying to do and why it didn't work in his estimation. Um, the worst part of the ending truly though, is just when you see his mouse go over to the email with the paperclip next to it and watching it, you know, 23 years in the future and just going like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, it's going to take two minutes to load. I'm going to have to watch (laughs) this load one line (laughs) at a time. I love seeing all those IMAX, those beautiful, colorful I IMAX, love, those big, I bubbly boys. I love seeing the IMAX. The second he clicks that email, yeah. I just, like, groan. Because I'm like, Boyle has enough integrity <laughs> that he's not going to make it an immediate pop-up image. He's going to want to play it real. And that means we're not getting out of here for another, like, five well, I think there's like a little more like like in, insult to injury in this too, which is like, you know, you're in this internet cafe, got all these shiny new IMAX there. And there is this moment where he's maybe probably in the two minutes while he's waiting for the image to load that he looks around at the other people in the cafe and they are presented to us as losers they're yes. like, you know, oh fuck, like you're slave to your computer. You're just this like the thing yeah. he was staring like away a zombie from. into the screen, and like you know. But remember, me and my cool friends, we escaped. We did something cool, and it, I. It, it is also. <laughs> it's very funny that he has an email from, and the t- the sender is just listed as mom and dad. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. And the, the subject line <laughs> is, "Where are you?" <laughs> 
so funny. It's so funny. And then it's like, yeah, my parents suck. They don't care about me. <laughs> they have a joint email account. Losers. <laughs> but but the tone being like, we'll never forget our summer at the beach. <laughs> like it's it's basically the fucking ending of Amsterdam. Where, like, Christian Bale always says, like, we'll always have Amsterdam, that beautiful place where the three of us briefly connected. And it was like, you were all, you, interpersonally, the three of you had a specifically bad time. I And I, I feel like I don't <laughs> right. know that anybody in the world can look back on their time at Amsterdam, because I don't think that's a universally shared experience. Um, well, tell uh, that to David O. Russell. Undefeated. <laughs> I, I can't I can't rag on anybody who's like a like an Amsterdam stan because I'm a Babylon stan so you know yeah their but own. Emily here's the difference Babylon's, Babylon's a, a masterpiece <laughs> yeah. yeah Babylon rolls. Babylon uh, rocks and rolls it's a Thank killer you. movie speaking of Looney Tunes that movie is Looney Tunes three hours of Looney yeah. Tunes so fun um, yeah you know what sucks what uh, subtlety yeah fuck that <laughs> who fucking needs that. <laughs> Boring. I'm sorry, 2023, Babylon baby. was too silly for you. I'm supposed to think about your feelings, like and how they're quietly developing over the co- boring. Who gives a poop shit? on my See, face? Honk shoe, honk None shoe, of this me, matters me, me, me. Honk shoe. <laughs> um, before we play the box office game, I mean, you know, just uh-huh. to talk, the re- the film's reception was poor. Sure. Um, yeah. uh, critics, critics said Angry? no. They said no to this <laughs> yes. one. Yeah, they, they in fact maybe even said absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, that's a no for me. I mean, the thing with Boyle is he was so even forget the Leo part of it. It's just yeah. like when you are the cool director who's new on the scene, everyone's gonna be like, "All right, buddy, when are you not gonna be cool?" Right? You know, when you know when does it curdle? So he's got a target on his back. And, anyway. and a, lo- a lot of those guys are are wiping out. Like this is the exact period yeah. where a lot of the '90s, like Fresh Breath. A breath of fresh air, exciting new uh, live wire directors are like, oh, you can't sustain this thing or you're repeating yourself or you haven't figured out how to stretch outside of your your one gimmick or whatever the fuck it is. So I think everyone's like just add them to the pile of all these wannabes. I mean, it's, it, it, listening to video archives, it's so interesting. I feel like hearing tarantino talk with a little bit of perspective on like it's crazy that i have kept it up and he's not saying it like that i keep killing it but he's just like i just kind of assumed like everyone else that like i they were i was gonna go out of favor at some point it was just all gonna come they were gonna come collect and take it away from me you know and then you end up being a a journeyman director doing tv and whatever and and look that's that's what's happening to Boyle here, and he's like, "That's yeah. fine. I'm gonna retreat, go back underground, and you know, do something radical." And like, that's what's you know, that's a smart move by him. Yeah. Um, rather than like, okay, what's a safe Hollywood project I can get myself attached to, or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, he. It, it's it's a, an incredibly incredibly savvy move that I think, in certain ways, even provides a template for other directors over the next 20 years of how to sort of pull their career out of a tailspin. Yeah. And like, and like yes. kind of relatively low budget horror being your escape hatch from like certain That's doom. the thing. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Can you, can you make your limitations and aesthetic? Yeah. Yeah. I 
want to shout out the soundtrack a little bit more, just mostly Pure Shores, obviously, which is like the greatest <laughs> pop song of all time by All Saints. <laughs> uh, you got Underworld's Eight Ball is a really good uh, number. And uh, then the Moby thing, the way Boyle talks about it is like no one had picked up on him. We put Porcelain on the soundtrack and by the time the movie was out, like he was, you know, <laughs> was basically huge. the guy into yeah. commercials. Like, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. he also said, that uh, he told Pete Tong, who's a famous uh, UK DJ, about Moby. And Pete Tong returned the favor and told him about Godspeed You, Black Emperor, uh, which is oh. a big uh, big band that's for used for 28 Days Later. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, right, all right. So the movie got bad reviews. It actually made <laughs> money. Not enough, maybe. But it still made like 144 worldwide. I don't think anyone lost money on this movie. Mm-hmm. But it was not a smash hit. Yeah, and just one of those things where it, it, it just, especially because you had two years of waiting, the any Leo movie was going to be seen as a disappointment, basically. But it was also probably going to make money. Like, yeah, yep. So this is Valentine's Day weekend, Griffin. This is February eleventh, two thousand. Um, the beach is opening at number two. It cannot crack number one. Do you think there were a lot of like? high school Valentine's Day yes. dates yes. where the girlfriend yes. drags the boyfriend. He's like, I don't want to see this stupid fucking Leo movie. And then halfway through, she's like furious and he's like, this is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen with the weed farmers? Right. Do you think Tilda Swinton is like, you know, ethically non-monogamous or do you think Bugs <laughs> doesn't know about what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no i'm sure it was released in february to yes to yeah. appeal to the to the youngsters uh yes. on their dates wild uh and in fact what's number one at the box office uh is another film that's pitched at youngsters a horror film this Griffin. opening at number it's, two is crazy uh not only that it's opening at number two but number one was is not even new it came out the week before uh came out the week before it's not scream two is it it, you're close. I'm close. Is it? I, know, I, still, I still know what you know did what last you did. summer. No, it's it's Scream Three. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that's how fast the screams came. Scream Three. Oh, Jesus, a great film. I will say it. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Scream Three. Wait, so the 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 succession of the Scream movies. What are the years of the Scream movies? 96, 97, and then this is 2000. Okay, so there's a little bit of a gap. Okay, I yeah. just remember because this, this is right. This is when everyone's like, if I'm going to do another scream, quanto dinero por mi. Come on. Yes. Um, But Scream 3, people don't like Scream 3 that much. I think it is an incredible movie, and I think it is 100% Wes Craven's like burn Hollywood burn movie about Mm. like Harvey Weinstein. I think it's great. Interesting. Um, Uh, Still have never seen any of the Scream sequels. An argument to maybe do them on Patreon. Right. Emily, what do you think of Scream 3? Or do you not care? I haven't seen it. I've, I'm the same. I've never seen wow. any Scream other than Scream. It's not not my jam at the time. It, nor now. J- J- Jay and Silent Bob are in Scream Three, right? Yes. As yeah, is it Carrie is. Like Fisher. Three is the one that's like the Hollywood satire, right? I I, I don't really know much about her. They're like making a movie. Yeah, they're making a yeah. They're making Stab Two. Stabbed. But there, there's all these scenes. <laughs> yeah. That, there are all these scenes that are set on the set of essentially Scream. They like recreate right. the scream sound stages, yeah. and then there are characters playing the act. Like Parker Posey is playing Courtney Cox's character in the movie, yeah. And Matt cool. Kessler is playing Dewey Cox, and is like, "Why are you so stupid?" It's their original 
Paul T. Goldman. Yeah, it rules. It's a the great original. movie. People yeah. don't like it. Uh, all right. Beach is number two. Okay. Number three, Griffin, uh-huh. is a family film that I am sure you saw. Okay. Uh, February. Ki- a kid's movie. 2000. Oh, 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 oh. I saw this film multiple times in theaters. Snow Day? Yes. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. What is it called? It's Snow called Day? Snow Day, uh, in which a bunch of kids get revenge on Chris Elliott, who's a mean snowplow operator. Is that right? Be, I, this is a very reductive uh, uh, telling of the story. I mean, it's it's sort of an Altman-esque <laughs> narrative. You're following four or five different threads. It all takes place on the one snow day. Chevy Chase is a disgraced meteorologist, number two in the county, who tries to break the big story about the snow day that no one believes is coming. Pam Greer is his boss. Then Gene Smart is his wife, who's stuck at home with the youngest kid, who's the half man from Two and a Half Men, trying to do a work conference, an early Zoom meeting. Her co-worker is Chili from TLC. Uh, sure. And then... The younger generation of kids are all trying to feed Chris Elliott, who's snowplow man, the man who threatens to plow all the snow in one day so that school will reopen tomorrow. This sounds like a really cynical ripoff of the ice storm. Oh, the, uh, the fucking insane thing about Snow Day. David, do you not know this? I don't know. You tell I mean, me. I know you don't know this, Emily, because you didn't know this movie existed until this moment. Snow no, Day was written to be the Pete and Pete movie. Oh wow! Oh, oh funny! That's right. Huh. Yes. Snow Day. Snow Day. So tonally, it's very similar to that. But Snow Day was written as the Pete and Pete movie, and then the show got canceled, and they rewrote it. So the main two characters are a younger and older sibling who are the ages of Big Pete and Little Pete, but they turn the younger one into a girl. Uh, but the end. The end of the movie, they stop Snowplow Man right before he plows the final street, and Chris Elliott says, "What?" What are you going to do? It's too late. I already plowed 95% of the neighborhood. And the one kid goes, then I guess we'll have to do some unplowing. And I have thought about that a lot. The implications of that line. Unplowing. Snow Day may open to basically the same amount of money as the beach. And it made $20 million more than it at the box office. Wow. So... There you and, have it, it. and it and, won Best Picture, too, a year right. later, which is crazy that it lingered in the conversation for that long. Yes. Um, the other number four, Griffin, is another children's film. It's an animated film, and it's it's uh, also new this week, and it also outgrosses the beach. Huh. Not not this weekend, but in total. Uh, is it a Disney movie? Yes, based it on is, a TV not, show. Uh, no, no. I mean, is it the Tigger movie? Sort of. It's the Tigger movie. Yeah. Okay, we got there. God. I mean, there's a sort of based on a TV show in a way, right? They're kind of based on the Winnie the Pooh show. This was the run where they started putting the direct-to-video movies in theaters, and half of them were the based on the TV shows. Because isn't that movie like 59 movies long? Uh, or 59, uh, it's 59 minutes 59 long? 59 movies long. I think uh, its yeah. official running time is 78, but I think it also has some pretty expansive credits. Yeah, they uh, include trailers in the one. running time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one, that movie's trailer had "Semi Charmed Life" in, as the song in it, which is yes. really funny. Yep, <laughs> yep. <is> absolutely. <laughs> um, the the most recent theatrical Winnie the Pooh movie, I believe, was sixty one minutes, and then they that's put what a short I'm thinking in front of, of it. That's what I'm thinking yes. of. Yeah, yeah. God, that movie's 
God fucking bless. good though. We should have yeah. more sixty-one minute movies. Jesus. I, yeah. That's the yeah. best thing about that film. Number five at the box office is a holdover from Oscar season. Okay. Um ninety-nine. American Biopic. No, no, oh, uh not the hurricane. It is the hurricane. Okay, well, shouldn't have outthought myself. Well, that's the answer. Yeah, exactly. I know I got it. Okay. Should have believed. Other films. The mm-hmm. Green Mile, another Oscar holdover. Mm-hmm. Um, next Friday, the mm-hmm. the first in the Friday sequels, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen that one. I have not seen Friday after next. Uh, no, that's the that Christmas one. one. Right. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Little, about a little mouse who shreds hard. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Shyamalan. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. That's what I recently looked up, is that that, that movie... Was at the top of the box office uh, for Y2K. Stuart Little was the top oh, yeah. grocer yeah. that ushered us he into the, the new He was the millennium bug. Yeah. <laughs> he was can literally. We, <laughs> can we just quickly circle back to Ben quietly saying, hell yeah, to Stuart Little? <laughs> no, I, I thought him. that was good. He was nice and fun. I just didn't know you he's, were a fan. He's small. Yeah, he's he's small. very, he's, he's tiny, little even. But the world seems big. Around him. Yeah. Yeah. Something to think about. Some, something to think about. <laughs> you've also yeah. got, you've got Galaxy Quest, obviously. A masterpiece. A great film. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you have the Ewan McGregor starring uh, mystery thriller, Eye of the Beholder. Oh my God, Eye of Judd. the Beholder. Uh, David, when I was... Uh, Marie was ripping me a new one over, saying that Ewan McGregor was goofy, handsome. David said, I guess you could say beauty is in the dot, 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 eye of the beholder. And then Marie continued ripping into me, and David said, can we circle back and give me some credit for my eye of the beholder joke? Yeah, I would not be surprised if even as a strident, you and Defender, Marie forgot about Eye of the Beholder. I wouldn't hold it against her. I, I don't think anyone remembers Eye of the Beholder. No. Does he uh, play the creep in that one? David L. Sims. Yes, he's the creep. Yeah. He's the uh, serial killer or something. Okay. Um, just back in the day when Ashley Judd had to make two of those a year, by law, by congressional yes. mandate, yeah. uh, she had to appear in two R-rated thrillers about serial killers or something. And everyone um, went to see them. They worked. We all liked them. I mean, a lot of them did work. This was not one of them. This one was sure. a flop. No. But usually, yeah. her movies made money. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is the beach. We made it. We made it to the beach. We, you know, we made it to the beach. <laughs> we, we, we. And this we kind of feels like the end the of sands. the first, the first act of your your yeah. Boyle series. I feel like this marks the end of it. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. No. And then right. the second act is him. Being like, let me try all kinds of different things, and then almost by mistake, winning best picture. Yes, and then the, the final the final <laughs> act is how do you follow up winning right. best picture by accident? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. wait, how do we recreate the alchemy of that? Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, that's that is absolutely. He's a three act career for sure, and uh, it's a long third act, though. Well, we'll see. Yes, yes. It also, I mean, it does feel like we we have to be on the precipice of Act 4. It does feel like when he comes back with a new movie, there's going to be some shift again. Given how he is, I would imagine he has some self-awareness about, like, I need to do something new, like, or drastic. Like, I can't just keep fucking around. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, the, the, the other thing about his third act is like he does a Sorkin script and a Richard Curtis script. You know what I mean? Like he right. took on these scripts by like and Simon Beaufort, like these like sort of. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, it it will be both here. It, it will be later. It'll be yes. here and there later. Yes, on this here here. on this very feed, Emily. Such a pleasure. Bless to have up, you back Emily. On the show. Bless up, Emily. Good to Far be back. Good to be back. Um, thanks for going to the beach with me, you guys. Uh, no problem. Good to see you, Mama. I like to think of myself as the Sal of this Absolutely. podcast, right? Yeah. We have this. Yeah, and I'm the I'm healthy dynamic. I'm the cricket guy. Yeah, and this podcast is, is the beach, and nothing will ever go wrong. <laughs> it'll it'll yeah, last right. forever and be normal. I saw David um, Street where he's like, if it was up to me, the beach would go down totally different. And I'm like, I, 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 I did I did the Wahlberg tweet. If I went to the beach from the beach, it wouldn't have gone down like that. Which is also at this point almost become the Ben Hosley. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> the ben only now, thing is, I think if I was at the beach, it would still go wrong, unfortunately. Right. You're right. You couldn't fix this. Yeah, one. I don't think no. you plus the beach would be a good combo. Definitely not. But but any thriller where someone takes the money and it fucks them over, you're convinced it does end with you on a beach. That's that true. On an island, a private yes. island. <laughs> yes. That I don't have to share with anyone. No, you wouldn't fuck it up. Nope. Um,. Emily, uh, uh, people can watch your breakout turn in Poker Face. Oh, yeah. My first public uh, viewable work in, I don't know, uh, four years, three years. Uh, yeah, check me out on Poker Face on Peacock. Everybody, everybody a, get a Peacock. It rules. Podcaster. <laughs> yeah, Peacock yeah I'm good. a podcaster. It's very, it's very meta. Peacock um, low-key good. Yeah. I think Peacock is good. I'm not even, I'm not even paid to say this. I, I think Peacock is, is fun. I've got good stuff on there, but anyway, yeah. I'm I'm on for for about four seconds of screen time, but uh, yeah, it's check it's it out. a it's a good four though. And people, I saw people <laughs> on the Reddit excited to see you pop up, and then asking why has it been so long. And I hope they're all happy that. Well, this is you, what I was you, working on the entire time. I was trying to remember working my on the beach episode. And it was really yes. <laughs> oh well, the beach episode too, but also Both. my role in poker yeah. face. That was just yeah. really long, long time in the making. It was a little touch and go there. For a second, I might you know it looked like it was going to go to Kira Knightley, but uh, yeah, got it. in the end. I got it. So people also don't realize happy. you actually recorded uh, like fifty episodes of a murder podcast never to be <laughs> released just to have the sort of like the muscle. It was like Ryan Gosling needed yeah. to know how to build the car yeah. and drive. You don't yeah. like this bit, yeah, we David? Should we should wrap. Okay. Uh, thank you for being here, Emily. Thank Great you. To for you. Having Great me. to see you, Emily. Great to see you too. Yeah. See you soon. <laughs> yes. See you soon. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, come on. Obviously. Um, come on. Next come time on. in next time at Foxwoods. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go have a night sometime. <sighs> I would love at the to craft would table. love nothing more. Um thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Bardi for our social media and helping to produce the show. Joe Bowen, Pat Reynolds for our artwork, Lee Montgomery and the Great American novel for our theme song. AJ McKee and Alex Barron for our editing, JJ Birch for our research. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, Blank Check Special Features, where we do commentaries on franchises and other bonus stuff. 
Uh, we're doing 28 weeks later on Patreon, which will be coming out around the same time uh, as 28 days later episode. But I should also mention, as we're trying to remind people this year, we unlock every Patreon episode after three years. So the whole first year of Patreon, the Marvel commentaries, and the New Jersey weekend experience all now available for free for anyone who wants to go to our Patreon page. We're unlocking new episodes every 10 days, such as... The Rise of Skywalker, or the Last Jedi episode where I clogged your to- uh, your toilet. Uh, that right, one I think is now right. unlocked. Please, please, please. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. Tune in next week for 28 Days Later. And as always, I'm not kidding. It is just the timing now. The naked guy has returned. He is once again naked, and the lights are now on in his apartment. Down, 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 down. This guy's just fucking just flapping well, around. Does he and he sees you? He's fully aware of you. He has we have not made eye contact, but like my setup is facing the window. Right. There is right. a lamp in front right. of my face illuminating my face. Yeah. I'm staring yeah. straight he, ahead. He's now walked <laughs> off. But he was just he was just fucking flipping a flop. He's never going to meet you. Why does he give a fuck? <laughs>